This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. I want to rock! Bernie and Sid in the Morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, it's Memorial Day, May 30th, and well, let's listen to let's listen to, to the national anthem for a few seconds. For amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, America. America, God shed his grace on me. Isn't that beautiful? And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. My other favorite song is God Bless America, and we'll play that later on. And uh, this is not Bernie and Sid. This is Katz and Lydia. Where Lydia, are you on there someplace? Yes, I'm. I'm here. I'm. I'm reporting from home, so I don't get anybody sick. I caught some sort of bug, and I've been um, coughing. And but I'll, I'll be. I'll be. Lydia, good as I always thought soon. that you were so tough that you would kill those bugs. I know. I know. I know. I think my daughter came home with something, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me like a Mack truck, and. Uh, but it's not COVID. It's not COVID. It, I tested negative, so we'll we'll see. Well, we're you on know, this morning, and uh, uh, and we're here to you know WABC. The entire weekend, on numbers have been uh, crazy high. You know why? We have been live, and what I tell people uh, uh, is that you know, you wanna you wanna tune in on a station that's playing repeats and repeats and repeats, or do you want to hear what's going on alive? I mean, Curtis must have worked 30 hours out of, straight in the last couple of days. And, and Lydia, what do you think? People want to hear live shows. I agree. They want to hear live shows. We're the number one station in the country right now. So we got to give the people what they want. They want live. They want 24-7. And here we are, WABC. And we say it at night, but we'll say it this morning, too. It stands for Truth, Justice, and the American Way. And that's, uh, you know, you, we, we do have that song, don't we? I mean, truth, justice, and the American way. Let's see. With the control. Let's see if the Superman, control room. The Superman theme song. Let's see if the control room is fast or slow this morning. Well, you're still looking. Uh, tell us, <laughs> tell us about. You've got to get used to you. you got to be fast when you're with cats. Truth. Justice in the American Way, Memorial Day. We celebrate, we celebrate <laughs> for all those that, that paid the price for our country the to be free. Price. 
for our country to be free and we're able to be able to celebrate instead of being slaves to somebody else. Uh, It's just amazing to me, John. It's amazing to me that anybody would say anything negative about this country because, like, your parents, like mine, they came here, they sacrificed everything. And I'd say to my mom, why did you come? You know, you guys, Montenegro, it's a beautiful country. The water is crystal clear blue and look at the food. And she said, if we stayed, we would have starved. You know, the, the beautiful blue water wasn't going to, we needed jobs. And they came to New York City. They came to Manhattan. Your, uh, that's where my parents first started in Manhattan. And then yours, obviously, as well in and Harlem. And we never left. That's right. You never left Manhattan. You never left the island. Well, my parents uh, got their first apartment when they came uh, on five. The building was 512 West 135th Street, right between uh, Amsterdam and Broadway and by City College. And and um, I think we were there for about 20 years. Wow. 20 years. How many bedrooms was it? Uh, let me see. There was a three bedroom. Um and I think we were, my father was paying $47 a month. That is incredible. And it's- I had the opportunity uh, about 30 years ago to buy that building for $50,000. <laughs> and I said, ah, I don't know. What do I need it for? Well, guess what? <laughs> like 10 years later, there were, somebody was offering it for $5 million. See, I make, oh I make some bad decisions once in a while. I know you do. My, excuse me, my, my dad, my, the way my, my parents, I know it's like, I, I took some cough medicine. My parents, um, the way they, they bought a building in the Bronx and my mom, she was pregnant with me. She says when they were walking by it, going to the church, cause right across the street is a church. And she 40 said years to my ago. dad, yes. And she said, you should buy this building. You should buy it. And my dad was dead against it, but had they not bought that building, I mean, my parents are middle-class, but they're, they're good. You know, they, they have a couple, you know, their home is paid for the buildings paid for and stuff like that. But yeah, if it had not been for my mother, you know, very little education, but she says, you got to buy property. That's how you make it in this world. That's how you make it in New York city. You you know something you're a hundred percent right. And I was in Long Island this weekend and I was talking to, uh, a very, very hardworking Turkish uh, gentleman, uh, Zach, uh, who owns uh, uh, 75 Main. And uh, he must have had 600 people in, in, in one of his nightclubs and, he, and his other restaurants were full. I said, you know, what you sh- I gave him good advice. I say, take the money that you're making, buy the building. Because you don't want to get to a point where you're doing so well that the landlord comes and says, well, pay us triple, or otherwise we're full, we're, we're, you don't have a lease. And you're never in business unless you are able to stay in business. And you know something? That kid, he thanked me uh, a zillion times, said thank you for the advice, and I, you know, I want to learn. And, and the guy works hard. He probably works uh, – a hundred hours, two hundred hours. Can't work two hundred hours, but he works a hundred hours a week at least. There's one Italian restaurant in New York City. It's right across the street from Bloomingdale's Isle of Capri. It's been around for decades. You know why? Because they don't have to worry about the rent because the owners of the restaurant own the building. And so that's, you know, it's it's a smart thing when you invest in something. That's why communism is horrible. You don't want to be beholden to the government. 
And yet, I don't know what Joe Biden is doing, John. I don't know what he's doing. I really, I don't think he knows what he's doing, that they want everybody to kind of rely on government handouts. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, people telling me I was at a party last night uh, that, um, uh, and people say to me, I can't get enough help. I said, when, when the government stops giving handouts, then the people will come back to work. I mean, you can't keep printing money. I mean, uh, I know I know of several people that say they make more money staying at home than they would going to work. So because the unemployment checks just keep rolling in, the stimulus checks were rolling in, they can get a you know food stamp card. So it's just like, why work? That's what a lot of people are doing. Well, by the way, I, Todd Shapiro is calling in and he's got a new job. Reporting, reporting from the Hamptons. <laughs> so let, let's find out what the heck was going on in the Hamptons. He took me to some party last night. I don't even know what I was there for, but I was there. And, and, was, and oh, Were you with the mayor? Because he hangs out with the mayor a lot. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, Todd Shapiro, what was that party for last night? Tell us about it. I mean, you know, our friend Zach, uh, who owns the place, did a great, well, po- great, great deal. I'm ready to give a full Hamptons report, John. It was a, first of all, Friday and Saturday was a washout. You know, people don't like the Hamptons in the rain. They don't go out. They stay home. They stay at home. Not only they stay home in the Hamptons, they stay home in New York. They never, they never came out until Saturday. So, so one person described the hotel walking in was like the Bates Motel. You walked in, there was nobody there. It was vacant. It was, there was no one. No one was even at the front desk. It was so bad. But, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday today seems to be a great time. The Breakfast Buddies breakfast that opened up was amazing. John hosts a breakfast. Um, it was about law and order. They had Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison, who was the former NYD Chief of Patrol, talking about you know how bail And now he's the Police Commissioner of Suffolk County. Yeah, Suffolk County. He had him. John had him speak, and... He had about fifty people, and you know they they haven't had because of COVID never had a they haven't had a breakfast in a while, and they had Rodney Harrison spoke, but also Governor Patterson came and spoke and talked about what's going on with the state. Um, Bruce Mosler from Cushman and Wakefield talked about the intrepid and the opening of um, what's going on today over. On, and know, by the way, Bruce uh, Mosler, I think he's going to be calling in later on today about nine o'clock or something. That's amazing. And also, you had more important, you brought in prayer, which we haven't seen prayer in a long time. You had Father Alex doing prayer for the Hamptons. Which, well, you know uh, something? Our city, our county, our, our country, our, the world needs a prayer. Every little bit helps. We need a prayer. My God. I so think a lot of what's so- going on in this world has to do with the fact that we've become a godless, soulless country. A lot of these people, they just don't feel like they have any kind of something higher, more meaningful out there besides themselves. And, and I, just kind I, of... I, I just passed Curtis before when I was coming to work. I left the Hamptons this morning at 3.30 in the morning <laughs> to get to the studio. Wow. And I'll tell you, the roads were quiet. and uh, But it was a beautiful ride. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back to work. I mean, it's all about work. Now, Todd. This party you took me to last night. Well, we, 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 what the sure, heck was it all about? But, but let's talk about one more thing, all right? Yeah. You know, now there are no more diners in the Hamptons. John goes, let's go out and get a burger. We'll go to a diner. 
There used to be a diner in West Hampton. There used to be a Southampton Princess Diner. There's no more diners in the Hamptons. And the one, there, there, was, there used to be one in Hampton Bays. You know a Greek it, loves it, a diner. I love diners. You, you, have, <laughs> you have an omelet. You have, a, you, you have French fries. You have a hamburger. So, so a John, goes, John goes, let's go get some soup. So we get soup last night. $25 for a bowl of soup at a restaurant for chicken noodle soup. Well, I went to church. <laughs> Dr. Michalos picked me up to take me to church uh, in the Hamptons yesterday because I figured I haven't been to that church in six months and I want to see some of the people because I love people. And I, I lit a candle. We stayed for the uh, for all the, uh, the, the you know, the Father Alex uh, spoke and uh, Father Constantine. And then time to go back. I call a Uber. And the church and the church in my home is maybe ten miles away. Ninety nine dollars for the Uber. Wow. Oh my God. Todd Todd says you should have called me. I would have picked you up. I I would have and I would have bought your coffee. How many well, miles you know, away? There. No, it's about ten miles. Not good. About, ten miles uh, and ninety nine? Yeah, about fifteen minutes away. You know, having the last name Shapiro, I would have been a Juber instead of an Uber. Well, it's okay. And he's volunteered to take me to church in the future. You know what? We need we need prayer. But Ecumenical. Night, Ecumenical last, prayers. It was crazy. Last night, John, um, we and John went to Jason Ben is back. Jason Ben was the Jason Ben magazine. Had his brought back his party. He hasn't had his parties in a long, long time. So I went, used to go to his parties 20 years ago where he had about 50 men and about 400 women. Well, Don't you guys like that ratio, that, though? It wasn't last the night. Is, the people that went to his party that were 50 years old back then are 80 years old today. And they're still going <laughs> to the same party. So it, it's, it's a little... Are you saying different. the average age was deceased? The average age was, was, was deceased. When they were ordering prune juice with vodka, it got a little wild. <laughs> it got a little. But so so they go there. Who are the guest stars? <laughs> Jason Ben used to have, you know, Chris Brinkley. used to have some of the biggest stars. Well, Katie Couric was there. And I Katie haven't seen Kirk Katie in a few years because I, I think our daughters went to school together. It, she, she looked beautiful. The, the party was great. Um, Blue Mar was terrific. It was, um, it was, we even had the, the Bronx Borough president was there. And then they were, um, then at the end, you know, they, they, they highlighted Reverend Al Sharpton came in, which was like, you know, um, I, I, you know years ago, he used to, he used to have rallies in, in the Bronx and Brooklyn. But now he's hosting VIP parties for Jason Ben. I don't know what's happening to the Hamptons these days. Don't well, they, like the Real Housewives and like the Jersey Shore people go and sponsor at clubs? So he's like become like a snooky, where he's going he, from he, party to party. And sp- wow, he became he, be- he became snooky. But then they also had I mean they did <laughs> South, Southampton Animal Foundation had a party you know um, at the Southampton History Museum. Gene um, Shaparoff. Gene Shaparoff, who's who's on more boards and. Than, than anything. She's on 15 boards, and she's like... And Margo stayed home. So it was just me, Todd, and his wife, Liz. And Margo stayed home because of her back still hurting. And all the women are saying, 
Where's Margot? They were hoping you say she's gone, so they were trying to hit on me. Oh my God! It was oh crazy. God. John, John had now you now you got Margot fired up. She wants names and numbers. She's going to take one each one. No, one no, by no. One out. Well, Todd's wife Liz was protecting me. My wife Liz wouldn't let a woman go near Margot. It was like stay away. And John, John looked, John looked great. John lost lost weight. He looked like a model walking down. More people took selfies with John and thanked him so much about WABC, about bringing common sense values to radio. He he was a biggest star, and more people wanted to take pictures with him than anyone at the whole place. It was well, it well, was well they take more pictures with us than they did with Al Sharpton. There's no question about that. Well, but, um, it, it it was a great event. Everyone had a, a blast. A few things. St. Ambrose opened up in East Hampton. The old diner in the South Hampton um, became the Lobster Roll. If you remember, Lobster Roll used to be a great place. Um, now it opened up in the old South Hampton um, diner, which is kind of unusual because now there's no diners. It's just the Hamptons is changing. Right, John? Yeah, but uh, the sun was shining. And, uh, and, and Todd, you always entertain. You were entertaining a lot of people over there. It was a fun table. It was a fun night. It was a great weekend. The Hamptons is back. Who was that lady uh, in the in the real estate business that uh, uh, your your wife uh, uh, drove over? I, Liz, who did you, who came over from the real estate? Charlene. Oh, Charlene. Charlene. Charlene um, has about fifty different um, real estate um, centers in Brooklyn. She was out there. She was walking around, and she's yeah. with the. Um, she came with the Bronx Borough president. And so you had a little Bronx in the Hamptons, which wasn't so bad. And uh, I saw Jordy Giglio uh, from the North Shore. Uh, the, now she's an assemblywoman. I saw her there. She was talking about it, the challenges of bail reform in the Hamptons. And the Hamptons talking about it in Albany, how crazy it's been. And how it's crazy. It is. It's crazy. Well, Todd and... Shapiro, your new job, calling in to find out what the heck is going on. Thank you so much for calling in. The control room is yelling at me. Okay, we got to take a break. Let's let's take that God break. God bless you, John. God bless you, Lydia. A happy and a healthy Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy. And, um, you know. Enjoy the Hamptons. You're still out there. God bless. Bye bye. We're doing live. Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Lee Greenwood. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars. To this is Lee Greenwood, right? God bless America. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I love the way he sings. Oh, my God. He's such a beautiful voice. And who do we have on, Lydia? We have our resident medical genius. I'm proud to be. And he's proud to be and an American as well. And science and, and, genius. And, and historian. And, genius. and what else is it? What doesn't Dr. Mikolos know? Poor guy. I was, like, texting him yesterday. I was like... I can't stop coughing. I can't stop coughing. And he's just an all-around great human being. Dr. Mikolos, 
Welcome to Cats in the Morning. I mean, Bernie and Sid. <laughs> How are you? Uh, good. good morning and happy Memorial Day to everyone. And we have to remember that uh, we have to always remember our past to protect the future and remembering our fallen because they are the ones who allow us to have these freedoms that we enjoy. And just to give a little history, Memorial Day was first originally called Decoration Day in 1869. And the head of an organization of union veterans, Major General a, uh, John A. Logan, established Decoration Day as a way to commemorate the Civil War, uh, those who fought in the Civil War with flowers. And uh, that's how it all started, uh, just remembering our past to protect the future on this Memorial Day and that freedom isn't free. And without our military and law enforcement, we would have anarchy and or be invaded. So we always have to remember that. And that it's a very important and solemn uh, holiday, and uh, we have to show respect uh, for uh, the people who allow us to be free, because only one percent of the a little less than one percent of the population actually serves in the military, and they allow uh, us to enjoy all our freedoms. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. And uh, and uh, in addition, uh, I was talking to John about some of the things about. Why, for example, uh, schools and churches are targets, and one of the reasons is because it's like you have a big sign on there when you say this is a gun-free zone. So one of the things that you need to do is you have to harden the target. And uh, when my kids were in elementary school, they went to a Catholic school, and one of the things that uh, we had was a double door system. Once all the kids come, you must have dropped the telephone. Uh-oh, the, the call disconnected. So I think what he was going to say is what we've been talking He's getting, about. He's getting it back. Tell me, yeah, Lydia. Single-point entry, because the big mistake, what happened in the Uvalde, Texas school shooting, was that that teacher propped up that door in the back. At my daughter's school, if you have to go there, there's only one point of entry, and you have to show ID, who you are, and everything. So that's what's so horrific, that this whole thing could have been prevented, and now even the Department of Justice is investigating how the police responded to this incident. Yeah, I went to Brooklyn we now Brooklyn Tech, was- and now 6,000 boys at that time, and the, the, it was, the building was controlled a great deal of where they come in. And, and now with greater communications, with cell phones, with, with walkie-talkies and everything, we should know uh, what the heck is going on. And the other thing, Lydia, which somebody suggested last week, we have all these veterans coming off, off the armed forces. Why don't you, we give them jobs as security people? Well, we got. I, I understand. I, Dr. Michalos is back. Doctor, yeah, I'm back. is there a doctor uh, in the house? Yeah. So uh, the other thing is that yes, retired uh, sheriffs, for example, like in the Southampton school, they have a retired police officer and is, is plain clothes, and it's actually a, a trained uh, woman who who uh, is a, a police officer who's armed, and if and they're there right at the door. But the double door system—that's how it works. And like in European banks, you go through one door, and then they identify who you are, and you. And you also have, a and then they, and then says, they, the second door opens. The second door opens, but they and they also have a sign saying, you know, you're subject to search any packages when you come into the school, and then you need to show an ID, a driver's license or a passport to enter. They're not just going to let 
Any well, there's, there's so many there's so many people yelling and screaming, uh, Doctor. That uh, uh, well, maybe we shouldn't have sent uh, 500 billion or 40 billion or whatever uh, to Ukraine. Maybe we should take care of our schools, have security on them, and because this should never, ever, ever happen again. What's more important and more precious than our children? Nothing. What is more? Uh, there's nothing. There is nothing more precious. That's why when you hear that story of that mom that wiggled her way out of the handcuffs, jumped past the police, risked getting even shot and arrested again, and she went into that school despite that kid having an AR-15 and saved her children because a mother's love, you know, a father's love, the way you love your children, it, you can't compare. You can't compare, and we have to do everything we can to protect those kids. Right. The other thing they have, actually, some of the schools already had it because we did it out here, is that you have uh, cameras in the hallways and they're actually off. But if there's ever an attack against a school or a, a shooting, those cameras actually turn on and the police station can actually see every hallway and every classroom and they know exactly what's going on. So in that situation, if they had it there in Texas, they can say he's in room 32B on the south side. And you know exactly, and situational awareness is very important. And now with wireless camera technology, we're talking just about a couple thousand dollars, which is 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 nothing for an entire school. And you have situational awareness even on the screen that the commanding officer from the precinct can just hit a switch and you can turn it on. And, of course, the reason why it's not on all the time, there are privacy issues. But as soon as the school calls in or someone dials 911, you can activate that and you know exactly where people are. The other thing is we don't have enough mental health workers and psychiatrists. Even out in a wealthy community, for example, in the east end of Long Island, there's one psychiatrist who's in his 70s and about to retire. And he's the only one seeing public patients. So when you have a young person who's distraught or having a psychiatric breakdown, they have to transport him to the tertiary hospital in East Atoka. And the same thing happens in the, in the city. You know, you have, you know, Bellevue and you have these uh, safety nets, but there aren't enough psychiatrists for, and social workers in the school systems. And also, if you write something, uh, for example, on the Internet that uh, the disinformation people don't like, they'll cut you off. But this kid apparently was publishing pictures with all kinds of weapons and guns and, you know, the... Uh, the people at these uh, social media platforms didn't pick any of that up. These are warning signs. And also now we're finding out this kid was cruel to animals, that he would pick fights all the time. And, uh, you know, this kid was obviously not getting the proper therapy he needs. The same thing we talked about with Rikers Island. On Rikers Island, you've got to catch these kids and you need to have uh, psychiatrists clinics right on the island, an outpatient clinic and even an inpatient clinic to get some of these people who have been doing all these crimes who are not getting the therapy and the help they need. And that's the uncompassionate side of bail reform, where you're not helping these people. You're not getting them the help that they need. And the same thing on the island, instead of wasting all the resources and shackling people and taking them to all these different borough courts, bring the court three days a week right onto Rikers Island. Just walk them right over. Walk them over to the psychiatrist. Now, you were, you were in uh, Rikers Island when you were a doctor, weren't you? Uh, actually, I moonlighted there, and that's how I paid back my medical school loans. And uh, and that's where I saw that people would at least come in, they'd get a physical exam, we'd find out whether they had TB, syphilis, gonorrhea, and other things that could be spread in the community. Now, when you get arrested, you don't even get a shower. They push you right out. And that's what I call the uncompassionate side of bail reform, where people need to be 
taken care of. You know, a lot of these people have uh, mental problems and also like diabetics used to say, you know, I'm glad I got arrested because I'm finally getting my sugars under control and I'm getting healthy. So, you know, throwing people back on the street is not the answer. And a lot of these young kids need help because I was looking up, what is the definition of an adult? Like everybody says, I'm an adult like these kids. I go, no, you're not an adult until your definition in the dictionary is you're independent, self-sufficient, and reliable. And there's a lot of kids right now living in their parents' basements or still living at home who are in their 20s. And if you put them out on their own, they wouldn't be able to be self-sufficient and independent and reliant. They depend on mommy and daddy's checkbook and uh and credit card so these kids you know i'm 18 i want to buy an ar and i think we should compromise some people say 25 i think you the way the brain develops i think you need to be 23 years old at least before you can and 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 we got to do a big enough background check you can't just give out weapons like that i agree 100 percent you know? Oh, absolutely. If you get any kind of any kind of clearance, they look at your social media profile. They look at everything. If you apply for, you know, in Suffolk County, they you have to have like four or five references from people in the community that, you know, and, and believe me, the kid who lives in his mother's basement is not going to get four or five references from adults that they should have a weapon or should carry. And that's why, like, in Suffolk County, our sheriff, Earl Toulon, does well, a great job. and They screen people uh, that way, and that's a big did way Did you like me- meeting uh, uh, the new commissioner, Rodney Harrison? Yeah, Rodney Harrison I thought was uh, amazing. I actually got to meet him because uh, we both were honored this, a month ago by Rise Life Services out in the Hamptons, the group for the disabled people in homes, and I got to talk to him, and he's really a uh, very competent and ethical yeah, guy. I was imp- I was impressed by him. Uh, Dr. Michalos, really, thank you. Thank you so much for calling in and maybe we'll have you talk again maybe tonight or something on on medical stuff because we all we did was talk about uh, a little bit of history but thank you we needed that. Uh and uh, we're going to take talk a about staying alive. Staying alive is Memorial Day weekend and we thank all the people that that uh, that did the ultimate sacrifice and that's the reason we're able to to be free today, and and uh, God bless America. Let's take that break, and when we come back, there's a rumor around. You know, this is the cats. The what did Curtis call it before Lydia? The C and C show, cats C&C. and Serrani. Oh, okay. Well, I just Instead said cats in the morning. Sid? Cats in the morning. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and and there's a rumor around that that Sid is going to be calling in. Well, we need somebody to tell us about what the heck is going on in the sports. I mean, uh, don't we? Let's take that break. If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients, and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. 
Alrighty, Justin Ellick back here again. Your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to peerlessboilers.com or paviliontankless.com for a deal near you. Peerless Boilers, America's best built boilers. The Mets had a fun weekend beating around the Phillies at home as they sweep their three game set with a division rival to the tune of a 5 4 finale victory yesterday. Nick Plummer and Eduardo Escobar grabbed the headlines in the win as Plummer's game tying dinger in the ninth was followed up by this walk off double by Escobar. Bar in the tenth. Escobar into right. That's going to get down. That's going to win for the Mets. Eduardo Escobar with the catch and now the key hit. And the Mets walk it off here on Memorial Day weekend. Win it 5-4. That call courtesy of ESPN. Coming up next for the Metropolitans is a visit from another divisional rival in the Washington Nationals. The two will kick off a three-game set tonight at 7.10 p.m. Eastern time in Queens. That matchup will see David Peterson go up against Washington's Eric Fetty. As for the Yankees, they weren't as lucky in Tampa Bay yesterday as they split their first series with the Rays on the season, two games apiece. The Rays would only register two hits on the day, both being home runs from Taylor Walls and G-Man Choi, who was a four-walk and one-hit batsman, two-run seventh inning from the Rays that really deflated the pinstripes. They'll hit the reset button with an off day today before welcoming in the Angels for a three-game set starting tomorrow night. Your 2022 installment of the NBA Finals is set and ready for launch after the Boston Celtics took the throne as your Eastern Conference champions. It took a gritty seven-game series with the Heat, but Boston would prevail on the road in Game 7 by a score of 196. They'll meet the Golden State Warriors out west come Thursday night. And on the ice, we all know what tonight means for your New York Hockey Rangers. Game 7 in Carolina with a trip to the Conference Finals on the line. Can the Rangers crack the Canes at home? survive another seven-game bout. Find out tonight. Puck drop, 8 p.m. Eastern time. For more sports content, follow 77 WABC Sports on Instagram and Twitter. Here with your bottom-of-the-hour sports update. Again, sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. I am Justin Alec on 77 WABC. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Springsteen, the boss himself, born in the USA. Happy Memorial Day to everyone out there. We are honoring those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And you are listening to a live show, not pre-recorded, because this is WABC. And we're the number one show in the country, number one station. Thanks to John Katzmatidis, who's in studio. John, John how and are Sid you? Sid has the number one show on the station. Yes, that's he does. Sid, and Sid, he's Sid, calling and in. Sid. He's and I'm Lydia Serrani. And is Sid right there? Sid Rosenberg, I know you're uh you're relaxing maybe there on the beach, getting a nice tea. We want a report from Rockaway. 
Yeah, no, I am here, guys, this morning and uh, couldn't be happier to be with you two. I think it up a bit earlier than I ordinarily would on a day off just to be with you. But I have to tell you, it is a gorgeous sunsplash day. And, John, to your point, in Rockaway, every single house, every single house, for as many miles as I can see, has an American flag outside the house. And on top of that, every single pole in the middle of the street used for lights or other uh, city issues They've got flags as well. I've never seen a more patriotic neighborhood than Bell Harbor, Breezy Point, Rockaway. You wake up this morning, you feel like a great American. Well, I'll tell you, and, and, uh, that the beach must be beautiful. Was it beautiful yesterday? It was beautiful yesterday. Again, not a cloud in the sky, about 75 degrees. It's a good 12 to 13 degrees cooler here, John and Lydia, than it is in New York City. And they expect the same thing today. Now, tomorrow's going to be so hot, it's even going to hit about 85 here on the beach. But today, about 77, <laughs> sunny, no clouds, just a perfect day to celebrate. Really one of the great days in our country's uh, history. And as I say all the time, and Bernie says it too, while you're out there today, folks, having your barbecue, getting together with family, getting ready for a huge Rangers game seven tonight, don't forget why you're home today. You're home because, like Lydia just said, of the ultimate sacrifice, some that gave all uh, have yourself a moment to just just pay homage and honor our brave men and women that even today, as I'm on the beach in Rockaway, are in some lonely cave in Afghanistan or some, some street in Iraq or somewhere else very dangerous around the world. Don't forget, you're off today, not because you're great, but because our men and women protect us every single day and offer us the freedoms to do what we're doing right now. So uh, we've got a great country and very courageous people every day fighting for our rights. Tell me about some of the concerns uh this Memorial Day weekend. I mean, the killings are, are persisting in uh, uh, in New York City. And, uh, uh, you know, at, at what point is enough enough, uh, Sid? Well, that point is now. And you're right. It does, it does put a bit of a pull on it. Here I am standing outside staring at the American flags, talking about how prideful I am. But the truth is, John, is that a lot of Americans have not felt this way since the late 1970s with Jimmy Carter. 1979, specifically with the gas lines, the inflation, the hostages that I ran, there was a feeling in this country like, oh, my God, what's happened? And we're there now. Let's not forget, we're honoring those folks today that gave up their lives. Joe Biden is not that far away from costing 13 brave Americans their lives in Afghanistan because he's a moron. Bottom line, he bumbled you know, the exit from Afghanistan, and now today there are 13 new families mourning the loss of their you know, courageous sons and daughters because of Joe Biden. So between the streets of New York, that goes to Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul, the policies around the nation, that goes to Joe Biden in Washington, D.C., this is not an easy time. And a lot of Americans are really embarrassed, I'll be honest. Uh, but you got to put those feelings aside today because even though, even though the country is not at its very best right now and our politicians are doing their best to destroy it, we are still far and away the greatest country in the world. And people like Aubrey Huff, uh, not Aubrey Huff, I'm sorry, and people like the manager of the Giants, uh, they need to realize that, Gabe Kapler, this is still the greatest country in the world, and they need to be proud of where they are despite all of our problems. Yeah, Did you guys right. hear about what happened at 63rd and uh, 3rd Avenue on Thursday? It was just before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and the guy just w went on a stabbing spree. What the heck yeah. is going on in the world, in your words, John, that random people like that guy, Daniel Enriquez, who is the guy who was on the subway, the Goldman Sachs employee, he's just sitting there and someone comes up to him and shoots him in the chest. Now this, another random attack, well, the, the big companies, in the middle Lydia, of the day. That's why Kathy Hochul had that 
Not Kathy. Uh, uh, Wild. Kathy Wild had that Zoom call with the 200th largest companies in the in the city uh, with Eric Adams, with Mayor Adams, uh, because those companies, everybody's telling them, bring your workers back to work, and the workers are scared to go in the subways. Yeah, listen, there's a complete feeling of lawlessness, guys. Uh, people know they can get away with stuff. And this goes back to the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, last week. We spoke a lot about guns. I get it. Gun controls, banned AR-15s. I get all that. We spent days talking about the cops, how they blew it. I get that, too. But for me, that whole story was about our youth. What is happening to our young kids where they think it's cool to go into a school and kill nine-year-old kids? I mean, that kid was being bullied by kids his age. He didn't go into his school and, and kill the kids that bullied him. He went to a random elementary school and killed nine-year-olds, and he's not the first. The guy that killed Daniel Enrique. There's, there's a feeling out there that life just doesn't matter. And to me, that is a much, much larger issue than guns, than ammunition, than all this stuff we're seeing. That, that is a problem, guys. There is a, just a feeling these days that life isn't worth all that much anymore. And as far as I've been around this, uh, this uh, planet now for 55 years, I don't remember being anything like this. Now, I'm not sure that Eric Adams and Captain Hoka can cure that because, to me, that is a mental illness slash evil disease that goes above and beyond policing and taking guns off the streets. Well, it starts in the home. What, what is the common thread among a lot of these, or if not most of these shooters, the broken home, no father figure. The, I mean, in this last case, the Uvalde shooter, the mother was reportedly, she has her own substance abuse issues and the child, he was neglected. I mean, this is just, it's really, no, people have lost their humanity. They've lost their soul. They've lost their faith in God. They just think, okay, I'm, haven't you noticed it? Even when I'm driving into the city, as it, like people are honking, everybody's so angry. Why is every Everybody yeah. just so angry. I, I don't know. And, and look, you're right. Uh, they do come from broken homes. But Lydia, I know a lot of folks that come from broken homes. They don't take guns to schools. I mean, really before 1999, yes. which was Columbine, of course. So now we're going on 23 years. You didn't hear these stories. Did they happen? Yeah, once yeah. in a while. There was an issue in Sweden. There was an issue in Russia, maybe one or two here. But they've become commonplace the last 23 years. And broken homes and guns They've been around a lot longer than 23 years. So the question is, what has happened since 1999 that is driving these people to these murderous situations? Because they're angry, you're right. They come from broken homes. But why now so violent? Wasn't always the case. And it's become mm -hmm. very, very scary. I, I don't envy people like Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul. But at the same time, at the same time, if you're going to run and say you're going to fix it, then God damn it, fix it. Sid, me and you talked about it. it it's... It, 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 the people accountable has to be Stuart Cousins from the state Senate and uh, Carl Hasty, And and somehow, uh, I, I don't know uh, Stuart Cousins at all, but I know Carl Hasty is a smart guy. Uh, why is he scared about the woke culture? They are scared stiff that the woke culture is going to be against them. If they're not, if they are not for the world culture, and that's well, what it yeah, comes no, down to. Right. Uh, I no, mean, the right, same God. way we got cowards down in Texas that didn't go into those classrooms, those, those cops. <clears throat> the same way we have cowards in politics that don't stand up for what they think is right. Well, we don't know if they think it's right or not. That's the problem. I understand that. Yes, some of these politicians react based upon 
fear from their colleagues, but I'm not sure that's the case with Hasty. Maybe he really believes that. Maybe Cousins really believes that. Maybe AOC really believes that. Makes him sicker than he even thought. And that's why, I mean, you've got a guest coming up in a couple of minutes who has become a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine, and that's Andrew Giuliani. That's why 2022 becomes so important. I've endorsed Lee Zeldin from day one. Uh, I, I, right now I've got a very tepid endorsement for Lee Zeldin because a kid like Giuliani is really coming on. That's why elections matter, guys. You know this, John and Lydia. That's why 2022 becomes so pivotal for all of us because if you agree with John, and John is a thousand percent right, I agree with him as well, and you're sick and tired of the Heasties and the Cousins and the Hochuls and all these folks, then stop bitching about it. Get out, vote, vote in the right person, and let's start to change the politics, the policies, and the culture of this city, of this state, and of this country on this beautiful Memorial Day. Well, Sydney, this November and the primaries, it's all about law and order. And let's not get it wrong. Let's not confuse things. Law and order. And whoever goes, don't complain. Nobody complain unless you go and vote and you vote for law and order. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to offer a reward for, for um, what, uh, fraudulent voting? How about that? Yeah, we should. Yeah, I love that. We should. We should make people pay the price. I mean, we just went through hell in uh, obviously in 2020 with the presidential election with Trump and, and Biden. And, you, you know, you feel the way you want to feel. That's up to you. But you know, there is clearly something wrong with our elections, both local and uh, on the bigger level. That uh, that's a good idea. Offer a reward to start uh, making people pay for fraud and all the issues. Yeah, but who's going to manage it? You know, we, well, we, you know, when we offer a reward for that gal uh, that got the poor girl that died in Burger King, we've offered ten thousand dollar reward. She got captured. There was rewards placed for that subway guy. Uh, they, he got captured. Uh, we put out a ten thousand dollar reward uh, for for the people that held up that Gristini store. And I understand it's gonna, that case is going to be solved soon. And but who do you work with? On people are not voting, they're not they're fraudulent voting. Who do we work with? Who do we yeah, offer the great. reward to? I guess you'd have to see it happen, like at a at a voting center. Let's say if you see somebody, you know, bringing in envelope stuff like that. But certainly the mail by vote. Yeah, but who do we turn it into? Let's yeah, say they called in the WABC hotline and they yeah, and they yeah, gave yeah. us all the evidence. Who do we call yeah. it? Who do we give it to? You can't. You really can't. And, and that's another issue that's become uh, a big deal with this gubernatorial race is the at least the accusations of fraud, petition fraud, the signatures to actually get into the race between Lee Zeldin, Astorino and Giuliani. So, listen, you're right. There's uh, that's an issue. But uh, it is what it is. So you got to live with that. Still, still, if you're upset with the way the country is, if you don't like the way this city, this state and this country is right now, and God knows you shouldn't then get up and vote. And listen, if there's fraud, if there's something that goes on, there's nothing you can do about that. But as an American, you've got the right to go out and vote, to, to uh, make people hear your voice, and make sure you do it. Because right now, right now, and you hear the cars hocking as they go by, they love me in this neighborhood. Right now, this, uh, this city, this state, this country is not where it should be. We're still the greatest. Don't confuse the issue, folks. We are still the greatest. Go out and celebrate today. We've got a lot of work to do, especially in our, in our very own city. Lydia, me, Sydney, Chad, went out to... Uh, we, to dinner with uh, Cindy Adams on Friday night. I, I said to Cindy Adams, I said, do you like the Latin lover, Chad, or do you like <laughs> the Jewish lover in Sydney? Oh, boy. Which which one did she pick? 
I think she, I she think, can handle both, she said. Oh, yeah, I, I think I, I think I think we were looking at, at a menage a trois situation with all three of us. By the way, by the way, John, she is adorable. I have to tell you, I have not gone to Gallagher's since I worked at WFAN 23 years ago. I know Cindy's got a regular table there. That was a delicious dinner. It was uh, John, his lovely wife, Margot, me, Chad, and Cindy. And I want to thank you for that. That was uh, a, the, the food was time. good. The food was good. It I, was great. Yeah, the steak was terrific. It's there. a great restaurant. That was a lot of fun. That was a great way to kick off the Memorial Day weekend, John. Thank you so much. One more thing, Sid. Top Gun. Did you see it yet, or are you going to see it? I haven't seen it yet, but it's funny. Greg Kelly was on with me and Bernie on our last show on Friday. And, of course, you guys know that Greg Kelly flew those same exact jets that Tom Cruise is flying in Top Gun 2. And I said, did you like the movie? And he said, well, the first one was a bit unrealistic, he said. But as a guy that actually flew the same jets, I'm looking forward to see the second movie. So if Greg Kelly wants to see it, and he's an actual Marine and a guy we celebrate today, if Greg Kelly wants to see it, you bet I'm going to see it. But today, John, today, it's all about family. It's all about country. It's all about the beach. And then 8 o'clock tonight, it's all about a Game 7 with the New York Rangers as we pray to God we win tonight in Carolina and move on and take Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Finals before the Stanley Cup. Everybody in New York is a Ranger fan tonight. Absolutely correct. Well, Sid, thanks for calling in. I love you guys. Happy Memorial Day to, uh, to you, John, to you, Lydia, to all of our uh, listeners. Thank you for making us number one. Now it's time for all of us to make our country number one again. We're going to take our country back. We're going to take our city back. I love it, John. You're the best. I love you, buddy. Thank you. Take care. Take care. You know what's funny on on what he just said about Top Gun? Believe it or not, John, now there are opinion pieces coming out. This one on MSNBC, and it's saying Top Gun Maverick is a Hollywood war propaganda movie without a war. It celebrates the industrial military complex i mean can you believe this they're trying to slam top gun what is going on yep i mean i'll tell you but you know i i i didn't see today's numbers yet but as of last night top gun had 124 million dollars in and the big question was are the american people ready to go back to the theaters and i guess the answer is yes they were looking for something good. There was Lydia. There was so much crap in the movies. Why would you go to the theater at all? You're, you're better off going to to pay per view and getting some other crap. You know, look, I go back to I, I loved movies like Air Force One. I loved movies like Independence Day, and, but lately, you know, it was a lot of crap. A lot of crap, but we're getting through it, and we are here in the USA, the greatest country in the world. Keep it right here. Cats in the morning, in for Bernie and Sid. Don't miss out. Live. We'll be on with you till 10 a.m. Let's take that break. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, 
I mean, this is Sinatra. And, um, I, I, he's not flying to the moon yet, but good morning, everybody. And this is not the Piscopo show. This is the the uh, <laughs> Katz, Katz and Lydia Serrani show, substituting <laughs> Memorial Day for Bernie and Sid. And uh, Lydia, you having fun? I'm having fun. Do you ever sleep, John? What? The city never sleeps, Lydia. <laughs> They don't make music like this anymore. It's well, I was trying to confuse. I was trying to confuse people that that uh, uh, you know. Are we the only ones playing live today? I, I don't. I mean, I mean, I know TVs. So they're live, but I, I mean, I don't talk, know I'm talking about talk shows. radio, talk shows, yeah. talk radio. I don't. I don't think. I think so. we're the only ones I don't live. To anybody else though? Yeah, I think we are. Now, I know on the weekends we are. I know Curtis overnights. No, that's why you brought you brought WABC back to life well let me tell you it's about you know you know what i say to people that there's so many people out there that they want to talk to somebody they want to listen to somebody alive they don't want to listen to some guy selling vitamins the heck with it the heck with it but you know you know mother Teresa said there is no greater poverty than loneliness and i think touching back on what we talked about like what's going on in the world today and so when you turn on the radio and you listen to WABC, that loneliness kind of goes away and you kind of have a conversation with people. That's how we do talk radio. You know, we're just having conversations and we're just telling it like it is. We're saying things that a lot of people are thinking. And that's why everywhere I go and I tell them if I work at WABC and John, every time I've been with you, people come up to you and they say, thank you. Thank you so much. We love the show. We love what you've done. Because we're we're bringing people back together. Well, I I understand. You know, we've been talking about it with law enforcement, but uh, with uh, said before, and uh, with us today is uh, Andrew Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani's son, who uh, who learned a lot about uh, law and order from his dad, and he's going to be running for governor. And uh, Andrew Giuliani, tell us how it is. I mean, Memorial Day weekend. Give us give us the the scope of what what's going on. Well, John, first and foremost, I just want to say, having been out there petitioning and campaigning over the last year, one of the things I hear all the time is people saying, I heard you on WABC, I heard you on 77. And I think to talk about what you guys were saying there in the intro, you guys really have created a community in so many ways. And as somebody who is on the ground every single day talking to people, I can see it in my own right. Now, as today is Memorial Day, first and foremost, I want to make sure uh, that we thank all of those men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. That way we can protect our First Amendment and have conversations and discussions like this on a daily basis. Uh, You know, obviously today is a day to honor them. I I can tell you, obviously, one of the things that everybody is most concerned about, and this is whether or not you're in Niagara Falls or in eastern Long Island or New York City or Rochester is crime, right? Bail reform has been the number one issue in talking with New Yorkers. And I got to tell you. Well, that's going to be the number one issue in November. It's going to be the number one issue. I don't don't care what anybody says. It's law and order. And everybody better hear me out there. And it's law and order. Absolutely, John. And I got to tell you, the, the problem is we've continued to see it spiral out of control. And it's 
not just in New York. It's in Rochester. It's in Buffalo. It's in Albany. In Binghamton last year, they had the most murders ever in recorded history. Same thing in Rochester. This is, this is a problem all across New York State. We obviously focus so much on New York City because we're based here and the national media in so many ways is based here. But this is all around New York State, from the southern tier to western New York to the north country where I am right now. So the next successful governor will repeal bail reform and will make sure that our police can proactively police again. There's, there's some guy who implemented something called broken windows in New York almost 30 yeah. years ago. We need to make sure we end up bringing that kind of mindset back to the governor's executive chambers. Well, which well, maybe, com- which I, commissioner did obviously- that? <laughs> uh, uh, there's a guy named Giuliani along with Bratton, Safer, and Carrick who uh, did a pretty good job. And then you've got a guy on, on your show named Kelly, and his father wasn't too too bad at, uh, at doing that as well. Yep, you're right. And uh, What if we called it something else besides broken windows? It's all it is basically is proactive policing. That I think I think sometimes we have a little bit of a messaging problem and how they say stop and frisk. It's actually stop, question and frisk. So maybe we call it proactive policing because think about it. That's all police are doing is they're trying to prevent crime instead of just reacting to it. Absolutely. And, and I think in looking right, well, we could take something like stop, question and frisk, as we talked about right there. Stop, question and frisk was ruled constitutional for years, over a decade until the quotas ended up bringing up from 90,000 stops a year to 685,000 stops a year. So I liken it to the fact that the Advil worked. We just took the whole bottle at one point, and that's when it ended up becoming unconstitutional. So to be honest, it didn't mean the program didn't work. Maybe the quotas were too high at this point. But we can see the proof is in the pudding right now. Crime is up significantly because we are taking the opposite approach, and we need to make sure – Like you said, Lydia, we need to make sure that we have a proactive policing mindset and that our cops, and this is what CompStat ended up doing, our cops, our detectives are getting to potential crime scenes before they even become a crime scene. That was the success of New York in the 90s and 2000s. Well, I think this is a decision that has to be made. Andrew Giuliani, um, what do you think – what, what do you think went wrong with Kathy Hochul? I, I feel like she was a common sense politician, and now all of a sudden she seems to be bowing down to this, this radical left. What, what do you think is going on? I think it seems like she's uh, you know, giving into the Democratic base, if you will, right? I mean, she's concerned with being outflanked on her left, so to speak, as she's in a Democratic primary, and I think she doesn't want to uh, appear – uh, as being too uh, too conservative, if you will, to uh, her liberal base. But, I mean, let's take a look at some of the policies that she's been pushing. I mean, for example, I never like to look any further than her state of the state speech. That is, by its definition, the most important speech as governor you can give each year. In that speech, she mentioned crime in the 18th minute, and she never mentioned bail reform or cashless bail. It shows you she does not have a priority on what is, as you said, John, and as so many New Yorkers say, and I truly believe, is the number one issue now and will be the number one issue in November. She is playing politics, unfortunately. We had a governor, a 56th governor of the state of New York, who preceded Kathy Hochul, who used to play politics as well. And we can't have that anymore. We need to make sure we have a change agent that goes into Albany and puts the welfare of the 19.5 million New Yorkers ahead of party politics. 
John Katzmatidis had on Assemblywoman Inez Dickens, right, right, John? And she was well, saying, AO, we don't want a- less police, AOC, we want more police. AOC is going after her. But yeah. uh, and she is mad as hell, and she can't take it anymore because the people in Harlem want to be protected. But then when I challenged her on on bail reform, she was a little bit waffly. She did not want to go against the system, which 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 I was concerned about. And, well, and well, this go ahead, uh, Andrew. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and I and I heard that, and and I have to tell you. Um, to me, this is very simple. The governor needs to use the, the full leverage of his or her office right now to repeal this because you do have a lot of radicals in the assembly, in the state senate, who even though crime is continually spiraling out of control and chaos seems to be running our cities and, and our state, uh, are fine with the status quo. Um, so the governor really is going to have to utilize the full leverage of their office, and that's very simple. You sit down immediately. With Stuart Cousins and with Hasty and say, hey, until we have a full repeal of bail reform, I am not funding your top priorities in the budget. It is that simple because the truth is there's nothing, there's nothing that cost, that's costing more New Yorkers their lives, certainly over the last three years, than bail reform. Andrew Giuliani, give us your evaluation of what the heck is going on in the governor's primary because people say to me, well, the governor's waiting until the primary's over. Well, I have to tell you, you know, in last the, week, yeah. late late last week, uh, Zogby came out with a poll that had uh, me up 10 points for the primary. The New York Post had covered it, as did the Washington Examiner. And look, I, I always like to like to wait and take a look and, and see actually what happens on Election Day. That's the most important poll. But I have to tell you, in every single independent poll, uh, my campaign has been up or tied. One of my one of my competitors. Uh, has paid for a few polls that that has him leading, but any time, uh, any time that the poll is and when when is the primary now for the uh, governor's uh, uh, primary for the Republican? The primary is the primary is June twenty eighth for both Republican and Democrat. We have our first debate scheduled on June thirteenth. It's There's like thirty days, thirty days away. It's coming up, and I have to tell you, I cannot wait for these debates. I think, as we talked about at the beginning here. The conversations are so important, and it's so important that this decision is made not in the backroom deal in Albany, but in conversation with so many and, New Yorkers. And so Andrew, that's why I've told my competitors I will debate them anytime, anywhere. We have 29 days. I'm happy to do 29 debates. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Andrew, give us your evaluation of the Democratic governor's race. Oh, well, I, I tell you, you know, and looking at those numbers, it does look like Hochul uh, will probably lock that up, and, and as uh, Andrew Cuomo is uh, is probably not going to be running on the independent line, I believe he needs to file his independent petitions by tomorrow, and we certainly haven't heard anything out. It does seem as if uh, Hochul is, is up by a comfortable margin. But again, I always like to say it's all about who you drive out to vote on Election Day, and when we talk about a late June primary, when you're looking at bifurcated primaries like we have right now, it's going to be low turnout. So it's going to be really important on each campaign to make sure they drive people to the polls because, you know, look, our our primary day is going to be at the beginning of July 4th week. It's going to be a time where people are not used to actually voting. It's not like the second Tuesday of each November when everybody's used to it. This is a new primary time for New York. Uh, that's you know been basically developed over the last couple of years. So it's going to be on us 
on the campaigns to make sure we drive New Yorkers out there. And we're talking about the issues that matter most to New Yorkers, as we did before, with bail reform, with making sure that we're economically a competitive state and not competing with the likes of California anymore and leading the country in migration. Yep, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, anything else you want to say we can, before we take a break? Absolutely. Well, look, again, I, I want to thank all of those who served, who fought for our freedoms, and certainly all those who made the ultimate sacrifice for us on Memorial Day. Um, I, it's been an absolute honor to run for office like this and to run uh, and talk with so many New Yorkers about what's bothering them, but our veterans uh, those who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. You know, my grandfather was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, John, and he flew off the Intrepid. Every single time I go up the West Side Highway, I think about him. And I think about at 18 years old what it must have been like to be in the South Pacific going out there as uh, life had barely begun and deciding to actually put everything on the line for our country and our freedoms. And that's how I serve my country in the White House, and that's how I look forward to serving uh, as your next governor. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andrew Giuliani. Well, Andrew, you know John Katzmatidi said about you? He said, that guy, he's got a future. That he's got oh, that well. fire, he's got that passion. And if John Katzmatidis sees talent, I'm telling you, not just because he discovered me, but I'm saying for him <laughs> to say that about somebody, that means that says a lot. So your future is well, bright, and we love you. Well, thank you, Lydia. And John, thank you very much for creating the community that you have with WABC. As I said, through petitioning, through campaigning, I get to see it every day where people say, I've heard you on Birdie and Sid. I heard you on the Cats Roundtable. I heard you on that other guy named Giuliani's show. Um, you know, <laughs> I know that guy. I tell you, you can see it. You, you know, I always like to say he may be a little smarter than me, but I've got, I, I'm a little more handsome. That's about it, you know. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. John Lydia, thank you very much. And uh, Lydia, we, we, I know we had uh, uh, Lee Zeldin on uh, on Friday, and uh, we have Andrew this morning, and and we may have one of the other candidates this this afternoon. And uh, it's about getting the message out and let the vo voters decide which way they want to go. And um, uh, Kathy Hochul has been on our show, and uh, and I think she uh, she texted me that she wanted to come on again. So we'll see what happens. You know, this is not even about being a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative. This is just about we want to be safe. We want to be able to walk down the street. We want to be able to take the subway. Somebody that's been arrested over 100 times for shoplifting should be behind bars. At what point, John, like you say, do we just throw away the key? And, and the fact that they want to tear down Rikers rather than build it up and then put jails in the middle of our neighborhoods – I, I don't know what I don't know what Hochul is thinking. I don't know what our legislators are thinking, but we need to stop it. We need to save our city. Well, let's. I understand we're taking a break, and when we come back, we have a lot of great guests coming up again. And uh, uh, let's take that break. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call one eight hundred eight six two six nine seven zero, and also receive a one thousand dollar credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Monday, here's my simple question, because I am a simple man, as you know. 
When did professional athletes decide to look like Hell's Angels? When exactly did that happen? Long, greasy hair, unkept beards, tattoos, piercings on display. Is this a good look? I mean, come on, Aaron Rodgers, you look like the werewolf of London out there. Basketball players are the worst because they have the smallest uniforms. Maybe some think a boa constrictor tat on the neck looks cool, but for me, I lose track of the game trying to figure out if the shooting guard has a pentagram on his thigh or what. Some Americans have always been easily led, and I favor individualism. But enough's enough with the Cro-Magnon look. Did your mother really raise you to look like that? The answer may be yes. There's mom now sporting a dolphin tat. We live in a time where style is out of style. Sloppy is chic, disheveled is in. Why? Well, there has been a breakdown in personal discipline since the iPhone took over and since the pandemic took root. That's the most likely reason. But here's some astute advice. If you want to succeed in the marketplace, but cannot throw a baseball 100 miles an hour, it is imperative that you look classy. I don't care what people say. Image is important. That is the Morning O'Reilly Update. More analysis later on. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Lydia, I love that song. John, you're teared up. I, I you know, I, I, I do get so. I know you. Yep. I know, I know you. You get so emotional. I've never. I mean, remember when we had uh, that dinner recently, and you made us do "God Bless America" twice because they they didn't have the flag the first time, and then we had it the second time. You love this country, and everybody out there listening to this show, everybody out there listening to Cats at Night cats round table they know that you love america we 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 both do and uh i absolutely you know i'm an immigrant you're second generation isn't for well first generation my parent i'm your, your i parents. was born here yeah but i grew up like you you I could grew be up president knowing... i can't yes right i'll be president my daughter my daughter i think she wants to be a doctor i hope so maybe she'll be a judge like judge weinberg is judge he on? weinberg we got a judge judge's in the weinberg house is there a judge in the house? I'm here. <laughs> now, I talked to you over the weekend, uh, Judge uh, Weinberg, 
And well, you were very, very concerned what the heck was going on right. in Albany. Well, where do we begin? The latest, uh, first I want to say how touched I am whenever I hear God Bless America. I am, it, we really all, is, yeah. it really is my favorite song, closely followed by the Star Spangled Banner. I, I have to tell you, and it, on, on today of all days, we should thank the good God for all the good things he's given us in this country. And we should all fight to protect and serve this country every day. Never forget that. And yes, uh, I was concerned because I believe in democracy and I believe in the in the right to vote. And I believe in an educated electorate. And at the last minute, the 11th hour, some uh, characters in the state assembly trying to push through a bill. They would put all local elections outside uh, the major cities on even number days and you say well even numbered years so you say what's the problem with that why is that an issue because the registration is vastly democratic registration in the state of new york so what you're doing is you're taking the focus away from the local issues the county executive the town supervisors the county legislatures the town boards and you have a massive democratic turnout so it's another way of the democratic party to maintain their super majorities and local issues should be governed by local concerns and local electorate, and they shouldn't be caught up in a, a massive voting where they don't even know what they're voting for, because people do not split ballots anymore. The statistics show, Lydia and John, that people just go right down the line, and that'd be a loss of a real local voice. So in other words, uh, they feel that uh, people might be – do, do we have that clip? We're mad as hell. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. And my belief, and Judge, I think you agree, Lydia, that the voters of New York, New York City, New York State, and we're going to hear about New Jersey later. Governor McGreevy's coming on later. Uh, and they're mad as hell, and they can't take it anymore. And they're gonna, they, want, they, they want law and order. And whoever's voting for bail reform, how do we say the hell with them. The hell with them. They are destroying this great city, this great state. They, you know, I heard the discussion before. I've, I've been listening to the whole show. It's quite a remarkable show, Lydia and John. I must say, I, I heard uh, Dr. Michalos, and I heard uh, Andrew Giuliani, and I heard, uh, I heard Sid, and I heard uh, Todd. It was just, just a great show. But what Sid said was very important. What's worse, these people are just doing this for political opportunism because they're scared to death of the left wing, or do they really believe in it? Either way, those people have to go. Our country, our city is in jeopardy. Of We had 66 million tourists in New York City before, before the pandemic. And then, now, what do we have? We have... How do you say it? You, you say it in, in Brooklyn? Bupkis? Bupkis, that's right. we got Bupkis. Well, I'll tell you what's, what's, what the real concern, John, is is you had over 300,000 people who have fled New York and gotten out of town. They're voting with their feet. And the question becomes, who are you losing? You're losing the most productive people, the job creators, the taxpayers, the civilized people who bring you art and culture and, uh, and entertainment, medicine. You're losing the best people because they are fleeing the state. And it's what you and I have talked about with Lydia many times. 
It's the Californization of New York. You're destroying a great state, and it has to stop. And the only way well, to stop it— Well, I had a, a, a um, report before from a good friend. He was supposed to come on, but he couldn't do it. Uh, the, New York loses the headline, and it comes from the IRS. Because you know where you get yes. the real numbers? The IRS reported New York lost $19.5 billion in money from population exodus. And uh, let's see, IRFs also confused. New Jersey and Florida were the biggest beneficiaries of New York's exodus, with the federal agency showing more high-earning taxpayers leaving the state. So the high earners tracking returns filed in 2019 and 2020 showed that almost a half a million people left New York for another state or country. That's and, incredible. And, and the Sunshine State gained $6.4 billion in tax revenue. Yep. And uh, 26,000, let's see, hold on, uh, 71,845 New Yorkers flocked to the Sunshine <laughs> State. And th- this yeah. is not even current numbers. This is 2020. Yes. And, and, and tw- but 26,902 former Floridians moved to New York. But here's the difference. $6.4 billion fleed New York State or New York City, New York State. Only so how do you pay for all the, social uh, the, the other people, only $1.2 billion came in. So when you look at the IRS numbers, you get the real numbers. That's correct. And I say again, how do you pay for all the wonderful social programs New York State has if you don't have a tax base? Well, the other numbers I give people all the time, if you lived in New York City, between New York State And New York City, the budget is $320 billion for 20 million people. You know what Florida is? 20 million people in Florida. You know how much Florida is? Less than $100 billion. Right, of course. So what does that tell you? It tells you that you have a tax and spend government. They over-regulate. They over-tax. They over-spend. And enough, as you always say with Lydia, enough is enough. We have to stop this because otherwise we're going to destroy the Empire State and the greatest city in the world. Well, you know, I love New York, and, and I ask every New Yorker, every whether you live in New York City or New York State, every New Yorker, this November in the primaries, you vote for law and order, and that's what it's about. We, we, we need to take our city and our state back. Sixty-six million tourists are missing. And you know who's losing money in that? The restaurants, the hotels, uh, the the taxi drivers, the Uber drivers, the busboys, the waiters. Everybody's losing money on that because those those foreign tourists, those tourists come in and they just drop their money here. And we want New York to survive. We want to be. We want New York to be the greatest city in the world again. And we were, and we have to worry about this and fight it every day because look. You walk down the streets, you see the hotels are closed, they're empty, not to be restored. You see restaurants closed, not to be restored. You see brick-and-mortar retail stores closed, not to be restored. That is sending out a signal that people are abandoning New York, and we have to fight back to restore the city and the state. Well, they're signaling me from the control room, Judge. We've got to take a break, and 
the Judge Weinberg, thank you for calling in. Thank you for your input, and thank you for everything you've done for New York City. You were you were you served under uh, uh, Peter Valone for 15 years as his general counsel. Is that correct? That's correct. And those those great years in uh, in New York, and then 15 years as uh, tell us uh, Supreme Court justice. That's right, and that, and I'm uh, five and a half in with you. That means I owe you uh, of the next 15. Job. Yes. <laughs> And <laughs> as Supreme Court Justice, I understand you did a great job. You got people out of jail when their time was up. Maybe. Always maybe. Maybe. Always maybe. Well, thank Lydia, you, Judge. I hope you feel better. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. God bless America. Thank you. Let's take that break. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Isn't that a beautiful song, too? I know. I love little kids when they sing. Isn't it a beautiful song? I know. We're talking about uh, ships. Who's the chairman, co-chairman of the Intrepid? With us today is Ken Fisher. And uh, Ken's entire family has been so patriotic. Ken Fisher, tell us, what are you doing on the Intrepid today? Well, today we're going to have a ceremony honoring Memorial Day. Uh, we've got a couple of ships in for Fleet Week. Great. First time in a long time. And it's great to see the troops, the uh, sailors and, and military <laughs> back in New York, walking the streets and, and you know, and talking to people and, and, um, and having people come up and show their appreciation. It's, um, you know, it's a great day. and It's what I call one of America's holy days because this is not a day that we just have to, you know, play around, have barbecues and so forth. This is a day to honor the ultimate sacrifice and why we are free. And and the Fisher family does so much for for our vets. Uh, for people that don't remember, this is Memorial Day. It's a time to remember. Tell us all the things the Fisher family does. Well, it started, as you know, uh, with the Intrepid Museum. My uncle Zach brought it to New York back in the late 70s when he learned it was going to be decommissioned. Uh, and sold the scrap. And out of the Intrepid Museum, which, by the way, pre- prior to the pandemic, was getting one million visitors a year, so we were doing very well, uh, came Fisher House Foundation, which is uh, an organization that was designed to help families who have a loved one who's receiving hospital treatment uh, at any one of the uh, Department of Defense or VA medical centers around the country. It offers their families free lodging, for as long as the hospital stay dictates. Today, there's 92 houses. There'll be two more uh, within the next couple of months. And by next year, we'll be at 100. Well, that's, that's, that's wonderful things. Now, the, the other thing I've discussed with some of our politicians, one of the problems in New York City is the homeless. And I said, there's three types of homeless. Uh, there's homeless because people are just lost their jobs and they lost their money, they lost their wallets, and they're homeless. There's other uh, homeless that are mentally ill. But there's a third set of homeless, veterans. 
do you have a a pulse of how many of these homeless are ex-veterans that nobody is helping? Not in New York, but I can tell you that uh, there's 18 to 19 million veterans in the country. Um, 3 million to 4 million post-9-11 generation veterans. And they were estimating that one in four were coming back with some form of post-traumatic stress. This obviously was unacceptable. But take a look. If you look at these numbers and look at the homelessness and the mental illness, post-traumatic stress that these men and women brought back, look at the suicide rate today. If you want to know what we need to do for our veterans, we need to do more to get them to come forward. We need to ensure that our politicians make, make it so that the stigma is, you know, goes away and encourages these men and women to come forward. Because for every suicide, there's a family that we forget about. So their loved one commits suicide because of post-traumatic stress, which I view as a battlefield casualty. And they walk away. And, and the country just does not pay attention to the families that are left behind. So not only do we have that problem, the post-traumatic stress and homelessness and, and suicide, but we also have the military family that is suffering as well. So this country needs to do a better job in making sure that these men and women come forward, have the tools you know, to come forward and have the resources you know, to treat these men and women. And is the federal government putting up the money for the uh, uh, for those vet, for those homeless veterans? We have seen uh, an increase in VA uh, funding for homelessness for sure. Uh, so the government is in, is engaged, but you know, finding these men and women is not always easy. Um, you know, reaching out to them is not always easy. They, they uh, don't have know. iPhones, I'm sure, and they, if they're homeless, they are destitute, and and they need help. We we got to help them. We, you know, I I can't believe one thing, Ken. And you come from the most philanthropic family I know of. I worked closely with with your father, Larry, or your grandfather or father, right? Uh, and, and your uncle. Uh, uh, Zachary, you know, we with your under Uncle Zachary, we helped build the chapel of Camp David, because Camp David never had a chapel before. And well, let me go you guys do a phenomenal job. I mean, uh, why did they throw? We had uh, Rudy Giuliani tells me we had twenty seven thousand people in in mental mental hospitals during his administration. Now there's three thousand. We threw the rest of them in the streets of New York. Yeah, yeah. You know, we still, you know, while we've gotten better at saluting service, paying attention to service and sacrifice, um, there's this civilian-military divide. And a lot of civilians are aware but don't know what to do. They don't know, they don't know how to get involved. And they don't <laughs> understand the depth of these issues. These issues are very, very deep. And the men and women that if, you know, I always said that one homeless veteran is one homeless veteran too many. One veteran sleeping under a bridge or one veteran sleeping on a street. It's, this is just not acceptable. And, and so it starts at the, at, the, at the local level. It starts at the, at the city and the state and ultimately goes to the feds. But, you know, to go one better, you know, let me tell you that 
families who had lost a loved one prior to 2010, if they were allowed to go to Dover to witness their loved ones coming back, they had no place to stay. They would go there at 3, 4 in the morning and do the unthinkable and, and witness their loved ones coming home in a box and having to drive four or five miles down the road to a cheap motel. We uh. built a fishing house at Dover with a chapel. There wasn't even a chapel there for families to pray. So, you know, it's, it's up to us. You know, we need to engage our politicians. We need to make sure that these issues are dealt with, not just <coughs> the election time, John. And you know because you've been, you've been with – you pointed out. You know, there's, there's not many people that have been, you know, that have, that have been with the family with Larry and Zach as long as you have. You know the depth of what we do. But what we do is, is only a fraction of what needs to be done. You know, you're absolutely right. Only a fraction. And uh, that's very, very concerning. Um, what else can the average American, the average New Yorker can do? <clears throat> well, here's a great, a great week to start. Is walk up to them, to military, whether it's sailors or, or, or members of the armed army or whatever. But don't just say thank you for your service. Engage them. Talk to them. You know, we, it's, we need to learn more about what the depth of these sacrifices are and these burdens. And, and people just, you know, the, the civilian-military divide that I spoke about before, where people are, they walk on eggshells. They're so afraid to say the wrong thing. But talk to these men and women. These are the best of the best, and they want to engage. They want to tell you about what life is like at sea. They want to tell you what they're going through, uh, you know, on, on that level. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be things that, that they're not going to talk about, and there's certain lines we don't want to cross. But still, you know, take the time to learn a little bit about, about what service and sacrifice really means because it's happening every day. And whether we're forward deployed or not, there are still men and women that are in harm's way. You know, and, and this is something else. Just because these headlines fall off the front pages – and move to the back of the newspaper, and in some cases out of the newspaper completely, we don't realize it's, it's like out of sight, out of mind. We don't see these things. We see what's happening in Ukraine, and we're doing what we can to help the Ukrainians. But, you know, this is happening with us, you know, every day. There's a man or a woman in harm's way. And I, so we, I agree. You know, yeah. I agree. And, you know, I worked very closely. You know, I'm still involved in the Police Athletic League, uh, and uh, I helped run it along with the uh, former Commissioner uh, McGuire and, uh, and uh, David Arena. Um, and when your uncle, Zachary, and your father, Larry, were very much involved with helping the kids of the inner circle. And you know what I tell people? You know, we'd like to help the kids in Africa. We'd like to help the kids in South America. We'd like to help the kids in Central America. But what about, why don't we take care of our kids in New York first and take care of the American kids and take care of the New York kids first? And that should be our first order of responsibility. Yes, yes, it should. Um, we need to remember that there are people here that are having issues as well. Um, and, it's, and that's why the Intrepid is, is so wonderful, a tool, because on the Intrepid, 
we have an after-school program that focuses on STEM programs so that these kids from public schools can come on board the ship. They can hear from astronauts. They can hear about STEM in a meaningful way. Is it open for the public today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So tell people, they can just come over, tell them where it is and... Go, go right down to the airport. It's on Pier 86. It's on 46th Street in the West Side Highway. Uh, as you're driving down, it's tough to miss, but uh, it's home to the Space Shuttle Enterprise. It's home to the Concorde that made the fastest transatlantic crossing. We have a, a one of the only uh, nuclear uh, submarines, uh, the Growler, uh, which is docked there, too. Uh, so it's it's about learning about these these tools of warfare, but it's also about learning about the sacrifice and the burdens that military families bear, because these are just as important uh, as what these men and women in uniform do. They tell me I have to take a break. Ken Fisher of the famous Fisher family and God bless your family and all the things you have done for uh, New Yorkers and all Americans and and God bless and. I remember your 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 uncle and your dad like yesterday, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. I hope so, John. Thanks okay. a lot. Let's take that break we've been waiting for. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201 225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. We're doing it live! Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. So proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming. Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid Show. This is Lydia Serrani sitting alongside uh, John Katz Matiti. So can we call it Cats in the Morning? Usually it's Cats at Night, Cats Round Table, Cats in the Middle of the Night, Cats. You, when do you sleep, John Katz Matitis? The cats. You ever notice cats never sleeps? That's true. Have you met you a never... cat that sleeps? Either sleeps a lot, but you never know when that cat is prying around. That is very true. You my my, uh, my son's uh, uh, girlfriend uh, brought her cat over yesterday, and it's a beautiful cat. I love I love cats. You do. You love cats. You don't have a dog, do you? I we my dog my son had a dog, but you know what the biggest problem with dog uh, Lydia is. The dogs only live to the age of 12, 13, 14. So every, you know, you buy a dog and you're going to lose them in 12 years. There's tears in my eyes already. I know. And then when they get sick, it's expensive. They're a family member. And then if you go on vacation, you have to make sure that they're taken care of. Or, yeah, it's the biggest cry. The biggest cry I had is when we lost my son's dog and. We were at the animal uh, medical center. We're over there on the east side, 
And, you know, they said they're going to put him to sleep. And they let us play with him for a little while on, on the floor. And we were playing for him with an hour, for an hour. And the nurse comes in or the doctor came in and says, it's time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he was kissing us and he was hugging oh us. Oh, my God. Oh, and, my God. And, 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 and she just going to give him an injection and died. What was his name? Huh? What was the dog's name? Nikki. Oh. Oh, Mickey. Oh. Yeah. I oh, mean, it, well, was, it was just the sadness is um, you know, unbelievable. Well, on this Memorial Day, there's a lot more coming up. We'll be on with you guys until 10 a.m. Keep it right here. We, again, this is John Katzmatidi. And we have John a lot Katzmatidi. of great guests. Yes, coming up. So you don't want to miss it. The only live news talk show right here in New York City. Everybody keep else right is here. home sleeping. We are here to keep you company. That's right. Keep it right here. 77 WABC. Podcast Network. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand okay that's not that's flying me to the you moon know, it's, you know uh, let's not get confused uh, uh, you're not listening me. to joe piscopo this morning this is uh, the bernie and sid show and and cnc cnc catching and serana all right yep. we're here and uh, our next guest uh, is mad as hell about what the heck is going on in our city and uh, i know him uh, he went to Brooklyn Tech High School with me, and we were classmates. And, and he runs the Bowling Green Association. Uh, his name is uh, Arthur Piccolo. Arthur? John, good to talk to you again. Tell us. You're, I, I saw your emails. You're mad as hell about what the heck is going on in New York. I mean, we well, grew up together. We went to school together. Well, yeah, that's one way of characterizing. I try to put out a lot of positive messages. Uh, the message you saw yesterday is I think we need more imagination. We need more cooperation between people and organizations and companies for a better city. I was specifically here in lower Manhattan. You know, um, a lot of these buildings remain empty. They're older buildings. I'm, you know, if the, the, the each of these building owners and managers, they see themselves as, you know, competing against each other when they need to be doing more cooperation and we need more imagination to create a better city. Um, I think the best way of characterizing the mayor was down here twice recently for flag raising ceremonies, and I spoke to him briefly, and I gave him some proposals I had. I told him the number one thing he could do, the most important thing he could do as mayor is to transform this city over the next four years 
is to create a core of assistant mayors. They may be assistants to the mayor. I would call them assistant. Let them think of themselves as assistant mayor. We have a hundred and more actual neighborhoods in this city, you know, not council districts. I said over a period of the next four years, create an assistant mayor in every single neighborhood in this city. Someone that people like myself and you, whatever the issue is, you go to that one person. That person immerses themselves in that community. They know everything about that community. I've never seen that kind of a concept anywhere. Um, he had He had one of his commissioners get back to me and say, oh, good idea, but too expensive. I, I disagree. We need assistant mayors in every single community. And I, I think that could be the most important thing he could do as mayors to transform city government and create a new kind of city for the 21st century. Well, I mean, he, he, I've been on Eric Adams, Mayor Adams' side uh, all along because uh, he has said he wants to, to fix the city, bring back the 66 million tourists that are not here right now, uh, bring back uh, law and order, and, uh, and uh, I believe he wants to do it. Oh, uh, he does. And, and uh, what do you think is holding him up besides the state Senate and state assembly? Well, I don't know that anything is holding him up per se. Obviously, this is the nature of government. It's, it's easy to, for all of us to talk about doing things. And this is the largest city in the nation. All right. It's 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 a complex place. And I think he has to keep showing more imagination and getting more people involved like you and me. You obviously at a much higher level. But I think he needs to engage community leaders like myself much more. I also suggest that he should have community his own community councils, you know, people in each community who are not going to be paid. They're, they're basically just be at his you know, serve on committees in each community. That it's keep not too informed. expensive if you don't, nobody gets paid. It's 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 a good idea. You know, he's got to engage each community more. I think the healthy communities are the key to the future more than anything else. And we have, as I say, over 100 different neighborhoods, this huge city. You know, you can't basically look at it as just one city. It's 100 and more. It's a network of communities. And I think that any mayor, and right now this mayor, can do a lot more to think of this as a network of communities that make up this city and, and give maximum attention to each community by having people who report directly to him on the ground in those communities 24-7. And we don't have any system like that right now. Well, that's very concerning. And uh, uh, this, uh, this was the greatest city in the world. It was running 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And <laughs> and, and now when when I... Look down, you know, we uh, we had our offices, uh, the studios on 3rd Avenue. I look down 3rd Avenue and there's no, nothing there. It just it breaks my heart. Well, you know, another idea, which, and, and it may seem like not as important as it is, we have the 250th anniversary of America coming up in July 2026. I think it can be a rallying call for us to make New York City greater than ever before. I think we should make this city so good by 2026 that it's the focus of attention completely for the 250th anniversary of America, as it should. And again, another proposal I made to the mayor, I said, I think he should start talking. Let's create goals that we're going to reach in this city by 2026 so that when the 250th anniversary of America comes, New York City absolutely is the best, most imaginative 21st century city in the country, without a doubt. You know, Arthur Piccolo, this is Lydia Serrani. 
it's only a small fraction of people that are actually destroying our city. Most New Yorkers, they love New York City. They love America. They want to be safe. They don't want to pay high taxes. They want the schools to teach their kids, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's just this small element of just, you know, disruptors and the violent criminals. Like, John, you always say, put those violent criminals well, away. That's you, all we're asking. Not to lock Arthur, everybody up, just the violent ones. Uh, the police commissioner, the chief of detectives have told me and Lydia that, there's 3,000 violent criminals, repeat violent criminals, that have been arrested for violence five, six, seven, eight times, murders, uh, rapes, etc., etc. At what point? It used to be three strikes and you're out. At what point? You, you just put them in prison? If you got the 3,000 people off those streets, then the 8.5 million people that live in New York City will, will be able to live in civilization again. Crime is an issue, obviously, John and Lydia. Crime is an issue. But again, it can't just be about crime, all right? At the same time, we're fighting crime, and hopefully the mayor's fighting crime. He needs a vision for the future, an overarching vision for the future of the city. And the, fu the vision for the future of the city in the 21st century is just not simply say we have reduced crime. That's important. It's necessary. But that's not a positive vision for the future. We've got to engage. You know, you've, you just talked about, Lydia, you talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of good people, yes, but they're not engaged the way they could be engaged in basically building their own city, all right? Government, city government is a detached. I'm very involved, and I realize how difficult it is for me to operate and get things done in this city. And I'm very savvy, and I've been doing this for a long time, and John knows it. I think let the mayor reform and recreate city government if he wants to be the next president. And that's my message. Fight, And that also involves fighting crime, because if people in each neighborhood are more engaged, I think it puts more pressure on the criminals. One of my 10 proposals to the mayor was an enhanced auxiliary police force. And imagine it 21st. We have something called the auxiliary police, but it's meaningless. I think we can get a lot of citizens, get give them certain kinds of benefits to not carry guns, but to be around in their neighborhoods, patrol neighborhoods be a much more visible police presence i didn't get any response to to my proposal how about when, he... when veterans come back and they don't have any jobs how about we make them security guards or something since they know how to use firearms etc that's possible too but john i think we the the concept of the auxiliary police citizen police officers who are not armed but who are uniformed to patrol in their own community i and my i live in a rather good community all right i rarely if ever see police but there would be nothing wrong and it would be good for the mayor if i saw riding around or walking around people who were officers even if they were unarmed but they're out there to make sure the neighborhood is safe so that's well, it's, my feeling. like I'm concerned about violent Even criminals. Even you and I might become auxiliary police officers under those circumstances. Well, you never know. You never know. Uh, but it's the violent criminals that we have to get off the streets. And and uh, Stuart Cousins and Carl Hasty. let me tell you something. New Yorkers want to be safe, and you guys got to do something about it. Arthur Piccolo, what do you think about the school system? I mean— it's it's a travesty that you have some children that they're graduating from school, they don't have any good job skills, and it's not about, you, we know that 
most of the people that go to these the public schools in New York City come from the lower income communities. Yet you look at the charter schools, which is also majority minority, and they have like a 98% graduation college acceptance rate. So what can we do as far as the schools? Because we know education is the greatest equalizer. There's no doubt about it. And again, we have to see them. This mayor has said he is very much focused on education. You know, I, I, I'm more supportive than critical of Mayor Adams. He's only been in office for a few months. He obviously has a lot of self-confidence. John knows him personally. I think we have to give him more time. But on the other hand, I think he's got to be more specific and he's got to do more to to face these issues like education. What is his plan for ensuring that over the next four years that the educational system in New York City is better? I think he needs to speak to the people more about all these issues and do it regularly. I suggest that he begin every morning in his office by no reporters or anything, just him sitting at his desk and basically talk to the people of New York City every day directly as though he's speaking to each of us one-on-one and talk about these different issues and talk about what's on his mind and talking about what he's going to do for education or other subjects. He's got to engage more of us, and I think he has the opportunity to do that, and I hope he does it. Arthur Piccolo, we went to a great high school, Brooklyn Tech, and we both got a good education there. And and thank you for coming on this morning and reflecting your views. And uh, and uh, Bowling Green Association is a great association. You do a great job with it in, in southern Manhattan. And uh, maybe you should come to some of the Ferry Hawks games something. All you have to do is take the ferry. I'm looking forward. And let me make one last comment. Friday... I hope people will come down to Bowling Green at noon. We will be raising the Greek flag here in honor of the Greek community once again this Friday at noon at Bowling Green. And I hope a lot of people will join the Greek community here at Bowling Green this coming Friday at noon. Well, thank you so much. And uh, let's take that. We'll catch up with you again real soon. And maybe I'll see you at Brooklyn Tech sometime. Just uh, one of, well, do we have a, a uh, alumni thing coming on or anything? I think you know better than I. <laughs> we'll catch up. Uh, let's take thank that break, and thank you, Arthur. I want to rock! Bernie and Sid in the Morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. On this Memorial Day, we remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so you and I can be free. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, happy Memorial Day. It's not a hat. This is a, a day of remembrance and of honor. This is Lydia Serrani. I'm sitting alongside John Katzmatidis. We're in for Bernie and Sid, who have a much deserved day off on the line with us right now. We have Colonel Jack Jacobs, he is a retired colonel from the United States Army and a Medal of Honor recipient for his actions during the Vietnam War. It's an honor. Thank you so much for your service, Colonel Jacobs. Welcome to Cats in the Morning. Thanks so much for having me on the program. Well, uh, Jack, uh, we've had you at a program er every Memorial Day for the last uh, zillion years. And and, uh, tell us... uh, Anything different this Memorial Day than our, than our other ones? Well, a bit. A couple of reasons why it's it's different. I you know we're all a little bit older, and a lot of friends of mine with whom I fought and survived the war are now gone. 
And as time goes on, that becomes increasingly the case. And uh, the, the second thing is, is so much turmoil in the world, uh, innocent people uh, at the uh, forward edge of the battle area getting slaughtered by our enemies as well as their enemies. And uh, that makes it very much different. The world is a much more dangerous place now than it has been in recent memory with threats uh, not only in Europe, but also in the Far East. Uh, China's expanding. It's trying desperately to expand its influence. It's becoming more aggressive. Uh, our allies, uh, friends who are not allies, and even our former enemies are terribly concerned and are increasingly relying on the United States to provide some measure of security for the rest of the world. So, yeah, it's very much it's very much different now than it has been, John. And, you know, I feel, Jack, you know, I, I feel like your family and we know each other a long time and 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 you were a Medal of uh, Honor recipient. Uh, uh, how many Medal of Honor recipients are left? Because we were losing a few a year. Yeah, we are. I'll tell you, when I was decorated, which was some time ago by President Nixon in 1969, uh, the action was in 68. There were something like 370, 375 living recipients of the Medal of Honor. We still had at the time a living recipient from the Boxer Rebellion, a guy named Bill Seach, who conducted a bayonet charge on the citadel at Beijing in 1900. He was still alive. And the first dinner I attended after I was decorated, my table mate was Eddie Rickenbacker, the ace from the First World War. Of course, all those people are gone. In the interim, there's been a large number of uh, recipients, uh, and now there are only 64 of us alive. Oh, my God. Uh, we're something of a wasting asset. I think the last time you and I spoke about this, uh, there, there were almost 100, and now— uh, Yeah, I was on the board at that time. Exactly right. There's only one living recipient from the Second World War, uh, a guy named Woody Williams, uh, who manned a flamethrower on Iwo Jima as a young Marine. He is now 99 years old, and he's the only one left from the Second World War. I think we've got two guys, three guys left from the Korean War, and they're over 90. The rest of us young guys are all in our 70s and 80s from the war in Vietnam, and we have a young cohort from the war on terror, but most of them are in their 30s and 40s. I mean, they're not so young anymore, so uh, okay, we're, we're, losing, we're losing a few each, uh, each, each year, and uh, like I said... Uh, you lost more than a few the last two years, and it's horrible. Uh, tell me, uh, Jack, as a Medal of Honor recipient, and you see uh, some of the things going on today... In that baseball game last week, and I know Sid uh, Rosenberg was talking about it, uh, the fact that uh, the manager, was it the uh, uh, San Francisco Giants, was it, that refused to uh, stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or something, or something like that? I think for the National Anthem. National Anthem, yeah. I don't know the story, but I, I saw a headline on it this morning, as a matter of fact. It's fairly horrifying. Uh, when you and I were growing up, it, in, in New York City, uh, that that was never the case. We grew up in the shadow of the Second World War, where every household had made a contribution to the defense of the republic. 
And as a result of that, we we knew what freedom was. We knew the price of freedom, and uh, we were as patriotic as they as they come. I'm I'm personally horrified at the actions of people these days who not only disparaged the United States, but also disparaged those who have served and sacrificed to make us free, John. Colonel Jack Jacobs, I'm, I was just reading a, like an, a disturbing, I thought it was a pretty disturbing article about how many college students seem to have some sort of animosity towards the United States. Are, are you fearful for our youth? I mean, what is going on? In our country, I remember going to school, and every single day we started the day with the with you know over the loudspeaker. We would sing the national anthem, put our hands over our hearts, and and face the flag. And nowadays, it seems like it's on trend that it that it's cool to hate America. Well, a lot of kids have been taught to do so by uh, by people who say that they're educators and are not educating our next generation properly. You know. Uh, education is really the only way you can reach into the future and affect the future. And I'm afraid that uh, we're not doing a very good job at all. And we put up with the kind of antics that make uh, that make this country weaker and not stronger. Because if you don't imbue the next uh, generation with the kinds of values like patriotism and diligence and and uh, and a sense of community then uh, then we, we will have to be fearful. And uh, this I think this concerns all uh, all people who are who are looking forward and hoping that the next generation can pick up where we're going to leave off. You have to be we're going to have to redouble our efforts to make sure that this next generation is properly educated. So far, they haven't been. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack, the one thing I'm concerned about me and you are going to be OK I worry about our kids and grandkids, and and I'm really, really worried about all the things going on in the world, uh, what's going on with our borders, uh, what's going on. Uh, every move sometimes Washington makes is making America poorer and making the rest of the world richer. I mean, I'm just worried. Well, years ago, uh, the people who were— uh were politicians obviously were focused on themselves you can't uh, you got to be focused at least a little bit on yourself otherwise you're not going to get anywhere in politics and you won't be able to get into a position where you can make a difference but it seems that nowadays politicians are not necessarily concerned about big questions about things like national security and what's going to happen to the next generation and are only focused on themselves and their individual uh, views of things years ago both sides of the aisle would get together, uh, and uh, if something needed to get done, it got done uh, because politicians got together and focused on the important things. Uh, most people don't realize – I talk to kids all the time and ask them about, the, for example, the Environmental Protection Agency. Who is the architect of that? Well, Richard Nixon. I mean it sounds like an irony, but it wasn't uh, back in the day because – Politicians, no matter who they were, were focused on working together to get things done. They're not anymore, and it puts our country uh, in a much more dangerous position. And like you're suggesting, John, it's going to make it extremely difficult, uh, and we ought to be concerned about it's becoming extremely difficult for the kids who are growing up now. 
exactly right. And uh, uh, I really feel that uh, we have to take a position. And in New York, we have a problem with the the bail uh, reform, and and the tourists are not coming back to New York right now until we get our streets safe. And so many problems in the world. Uh, Jack, thank you for everything you've done for our country. Continue to speak out for our country. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. God bless America. Thank you, John. Let's take that break. I think we're coming up on that break. Let's take that break, and when we come back, uh, me and Lydia are going to talk, and we're going to have General Jack Keane, I understand, at 840, and uh, find out what's going on in the world, because it's, it's been a dangerous world. Let's take that break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're playing patriotic music all morning long here on the Bernie and Sid show. This is Lydia Serrani. I'm sitting alongside John Katzmatidis. No, it's not Cats at Night. It's Cats in the Morning. And we'll, we'll be we, on the Cats at Night, too, tonight. We'll be on at 5 o'clock. That's right. Live. Cats at Night. WABC is working. live all weekend, and we have almost doubled our ratings from last year, uh, Lydia. I know. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I Everybody mean, else other... is home sleeping. We're here working. You're always working, but you know, that's that work ethic that made you so successful. And you know, my parents successful and I try to be successful and it's like, you, you know, you got to work hard for a living. And I think uh, a lot of people just want to sit around and they expect Lydia, a the handout. definition, the definition of success is if you don't work for it, you're not going to be successful. I agree. My mother would always say, do a right or don't do it at all. I put 100% into everything I do. And, you know, that's 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 what we're here for. Now, on the line with us right now, we have uh, General Jack Keene. General Keene, I know a lot of – we have a lot of strife going on here on – on our in America, but there's still a war going on overseas. Tell us what is the latest with Ukraine? You know, certainly, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of war that's still going on there. The Russians are are focusing all of their efforts now in the eastern part of the Donbass. They they've pretty much given up the the western part because they they try to take control of it and they've been unsuccessful. But in the eastern part, they have made some success, and they're focusing on a city there, Cerro Donetsk is the name of it, and. And they've been conducting multiple attacks against it, and so far the Ukrainians are still hanging on to the to, to that city. Um, that's the major effort that that is, has taken place. The Ukrainians, not surprising because they have done this in the past, have begun to push back on Kherson, which is a city and a province, uh, using an American term. The term they use is oblast. Uh, 
that they control, the Russians control it, and the Ukrainians are now conducting uh, limited counterattacks against that territory and pushing the Russians into a defensive mode, which is keeping and pinning down their forces from helping them uh, further to the east in, in what is now their major offensive campaign. So the U Ukrainians are demonstrating once again they seize the opportunity, and, and hopefully if we keep, keep giving them the arms and munitions that they desperately need to include these multiple rocket launchers that they've requested in the United States, I think the latest decision in giving them that, and they have finally made that decision to do that and, and will assist them greatly. The Russian advantage that they have is the use of their artillery. Their maneuver forces, their, their armor and infantry forces are weak and, and don't do very well. But their artillery, they have a lot of it, and it outranges the Ukrainians' artillery. And that's why these rocket launchers are, are in desperate need, because they have the range to destroy that artillery, and it'll be very effective. General, I mean, nobody on our side, nobody in the world realized uh, that uh, the Russian soldiers uh, were not— Dedicated. I mean, they sent these people in, they sent these kids in, uh, and never told them they're going to war. I mean, uh, and, and I understand the Russian parliament has voted to lower the age and to accept more, uh, uh, maybe 16-year-olds into uh, the army. What, what do you hear? Well, it, it, it's very true. I mean, you put your finger on the, one of the major problems that they have, and they didn't prepare their forces uh, for— for what was taking place. Most of them moved into the area thinking they were, and they, some of them traveled days on trains to get there from the, uh, from the far east of Russia. You know, Russia's multiple time zones, the largest country in the world. And they believed they were going to a training exercise. Most of the forces, not all of them, but most of them were, were under that impression. And listen, the other thing is that they're poorly led. And, and we've seen this up close now. Um, they're, the leaders don't know how to motivate and inspire their troops. They don't know how to take care of them. And one of the most horrific things that the leaders are doing is leaving their dead on the battlefield. I mean, to do something like that uh, just flies in the face of, of good order and discipline in combat because what, the message you're say, sending to the soldiers that are still living is that you don't care. You don't even care that enough to be able to get that 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 dead soldier is somebody's loved one, and you want to get that soldier home to their family. And the leaders are, are telling their soldiers they don't really care about any of that. So it's not surprising that there's a weakness in the ranks. They don't have the trust of their leaders. They don't trust each other. And, and their maneuver forces just are not performing very well. Wow. General Jack Keane, there is a report in the Daily Mirror. I don't know how reliable it is, but according to that report, a Russian intelligence source tells the Mirror that Vladimir Putin has been given a maximum of three years to live by doctors because he has a severe form of rapidly progressing cancer. Is there any truth to that? What have you heard about his health status? To tell you the truth, I don't have much to add to that at all. I don't know, uh, you know what his health status is. I I'm certain our intelligence services have some idea of, of what is going on with Mr. Putin, not only in terms of his health status, but uh, is there any erosion of the support that he has, that certainly he has enjoyed among those elites that are, that are keeping him propped up. And I'm, I'm certain our intelligence agencies uh, 
are watching that to see if there's any diminishment of that. But uh, in terms of his health, no, I, I don't have any, any anything to add to that. I mean, look, at Putin is going to be a problem as long as he is in as long as he is in power. Uh, even, even though he's having setbacks in Ukraine, he's not given up. He is very determined, and he's going to stick with his goals uh, in terms of grabbing as much territory as he can in Ukraine and, and truly still continue to eventually collapse that country. Uh, he, he's determined. He's a thug. He's a killer. And he's everything in terms of being an international a pariah, certainly. And Russia will eventually be a better place. Uh, without him, for sure. It seems like there's mixed uh, things going on in the European community. Uh, Putin has put down his foot and says, you got to pay me for my energy in rubles. And the uh, European community uh, uh, countries have been doing so. The ruble is higher than ever before. Uh, our people are dealing, uh, the, um, you know, uh, with, with, with Russia and Putin uh, about uh, buying uh, crude oil from Venezuela. We're dealing with it with, through Russia and Putin to buy it from Iran. Uh, what the heck is going on? Uh, are we fighting a war or, or is it just that we're, the, the, the leaders are, are, are having an argument and the, and the poor 16-year-old soldiers are dying? Yeah, I mean, what, what you're putting your finger on, John, is really something that's very important. And, and that is how the Europeans through the years have become economically dependent on Russia. And it's usually – it's largely but not exclusively in the energy sector, oil and gas. And, and Russia was certainly doing that as a conscious thought on their part, knowing that if there was economic dependence, then that would give them influence. And it obvious, obviously has. And while the Europeans have stepped up, and they are providing arms and munitions, and they have imposed sanctions on the Russians. As you're suggesting, John, there are also loopholes here uh, that are not, are not doing what they should be doing. And that is, is that, listen, the oil and gas business is still going on with the Russians, although the Europeans are trying to wean themselves off of it by the end of the end of the year. Uh, but they are they are paying them in rubles, which helps sustain the Russian currency, which is something Russia insisted on. And for the life of me, I don't know why we're doing that. I think we should be slamming the Russians as much as we can uh, economically, and the Europeans should be stepping up and be willing to accept some risk to their own population here economically to pull back from the oil and gas support to the Russians. And listen, every ruble, every equivalent dollar that the Europeans are providing to the Russians is going to fuel, is going to fuel the war in Ukraine and results in killing Ukrainian people. That is the direct result of, of that transaction that's taking place. And the sooner we stop it, the sooner we help end the war as well. I, I agree. General, let's go over to China right now. And, and and China is, I'm not sure they're allying themselves with Putin or they're just playing with Putin. Uh, I, I my belief is they're just playing with him. But they're they're observing what's going on, uh, relationships in in the world, and um, uh, give us your opinion of what the heck is going on in China. Well, first of all, China is. Despite the war in Ukraine and, and Russia's uh, 
thuggery and brutality uh, in invading Ukraine. Uh, China really is the number one security threat facing the United States, obviously because of the strength of their economy and the strength of their military and, and also the strength of what President Xi has brought to the table in terms of his aggression and his ambitions. I mean, he is very different from China's predecessors who looked inward to try to improve China. And President Xi has done two major things, as far as I'm concerned, since uh, in the almost 10 years he's been in power. He has, he has increased the repression at home, and he has certainly increased the aggression abroad. And that makes him a threat to U.S. national interests and those of our allies. And he has the most rapid-growing military in the world, John. And, and he outguns us and outmans us right now um, in the Indo-Pacific region. And that is what has given many of us a lot of concern that we have to upgun the United States military in the area, as well as our allies, Japan, South Korea, uh, Australia, and India, and and make certain that we're able to return to what we had in the past and what we enjoyed with the Soviet Union, and that is an effective deterrence. What We don't want to go to war with China, but we want to make certain that they understand that we have the military capability to deal and stop their aggression if that is the path that they take in terms of military aggression. General, right now, is, right is now, we're, our, we're our path— state. Is our path to arm the Ukraine putting a strain on U.S. weapons uh, sources, stockpiles? Yes, it is. Uh, But the Biden bill uh, that was approved and signed by the president, the $40 billion, also, while it's going to give more ammunition and arms to the Ukrainians and humanitarian and economic assistance as well, it's also going to buy back some of those stockpiles that we need. Yeah, there, there's been a strain there on our own stockpiles. And I think, it was a, John, I think for our audience's sake, it's an acceptable risk that we're taking uh, to provide Ukraine with what is needed. And we, we've got our defense industry uh, gearing up now to be able to replenish our stockpiles as quickly as possible. Some will take but- some time, though. General Jack Keane, as much as my heart aches for the Ukrainian people, can we can we sustain this type of funding, 40 billion, this billion, that bill, billion, when we have a struggling economy ourselves, we have our own issues here on the ground? Are, are we just kind of prolonging the inevitable? Well, I don't agree with that premise. Uh, listen, this, this administration and the previous one has spent trillions of dollars uh, in economic relief as a result of the pandemic. And a lot of that money, as we know, has been wasted. And some of that, a lot of that is surprisingly still hasn't even been spent. Um, at $40 billion uh, is a very small investment. Thinking what we're getting for the $40 billion, we're getting the fact that the Russian military right before our eyes is being destroyed on the battlefield by the Ukrainians, which would deny Putin from any near-term opportunity encroach on NATO countries and on national interest in, in, in Europe. So I think it's a small investment with a huge payoff. Okay. Well, uh, anything, well, it's Memorial Day weekend. We lost a lot of people. We lost people in Afghanistan, and we ended up just giving it to the Chinese. 
just about so. And Solomon Islands, the Chinese want to take it over, and we lost a lot of people there. Did you see in Afghanistan, General Keene, did you see as well that the female news presenters have to wear the hijab, that only their eyes can be seen? We put so much hard work into Afghanistan, so many, so much uh, sacrifice from Americans on, on their ground there. Does it disappoint you? Does it break your heart to see it all just fall apart? Oh, yeah. Well, it is heartbreaking and, and, and certainly frustrating. We had a 20-year ally there. Look, the war wasn't run perfectly. We, we had U.S. policy that kept changing. We, the priority was Iraq, not Afghanistan. Afghanistan was on a diet for the first eight years. And it wasn't until the, the surge was successful in Iraq that we were able to put some more troops in there. And then we never were never put the right amount in. Uh, President Obama uh, did not accept the recommendations of General Petraeus and General uh, McChrystal and gave them 25 percent less forces that they needed as a minimum uh, to be able to succeed. So there's huge policy issues that drove us to the point uh, where we finally wound up. But the President Biden owns the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan unconditionally and disregard the advice of his military leaders and his own Central Intelligence Agency that told him if we pulled out the way we're doing and did not keep a modest force there, the likelihood is that the Taliban will take over and the al-Qaeda and ISIS will grow again to threaten the United States. And that is actually what is happening before our eyes, sadly to say. And to walk away from a 20-year ally uh, who we were fighting side by side, who was imperfect to be sure, and there were certainly challenges in that government. I'm not suggesting that they're not. But they were a fledgling democracy, and they were striving to move in that direction. And they certainly opened up incredible amounts of opportunity and rights for women in that society in terms of the number of women that were educating and getting professional jobs as a result of it. All of that has now been taken away from them. Uh, and, and certainly it, it's going to be a I cry. impact. General, I cry and I have tears in my eyes when I think about the the sacrifices that we made in Afghanistan and how we just – I don't want to use the words I want to use about the Washington people. I'm not even going to use those. Who? But everybody knows who I'm thinking about. And I'm just – very, very sad. Yeah, well, you have a right to be, John. It, it, it's, a, it's a low point in American history, uh, for sure, and, and something that will have serious reverberations uh, for, for many, many, many years to come. And, and look at the, inv- the invasions of our borders. Who is coming through those borders? And we don't even know. And, and who is giving the orders to the, to the Border Patrol? Who is giving those orders to just let the people flow in? Who is giving those orders? Well, I mean, they, there's a green light at the border. That, that's the fact. There's no red light. There's no yellow light. There's a green that, light. That's invasion. Every, everybody, everybody knows it. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's invasion, General. Is there any other word to describe it? We don't. We lose our sovereignty if you don't have a border. And my concern is a national security concern. Also, I mean, it's horrific in terms of human trafficking and drug drug trafficking that's going across that border. But also, as we know, uh, in the last year, there were 42 who were on the terrorist watch list that that we secured, who we have in custody. That's not to speak of the others who were not 
custody who were never contacted. They were able to make it through uh, cleanly. And, and they represent a number of countries. So there's over 100-plus countries that are coming across the border in terms of other people's citizens. And not all of them, certainly, and then, and then the United States. And then, General, then they're taking these people and moving them to different cities, different states, and et cetera. I, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't want to say nothing more. It's Memorial Day. He's our president, and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut on that. Well, I understand your frustration. I think many Americans feel the same way, John, about that. About that. And, I mean, it, there's a huge deception and disingenuousness about the government in terms of what they're doing with the open borders and the pretense that they're creating as the, the, the Homeland Security Secretary continues to say that the border is closed and we do make contact with people coming across the border and we put them into our system and process them. That, that's a terribly false statement. The border is absolutely open, and anybody seeing the videos knows it is. And there's incentives for people to come across the border. And, and when they said he puts them into their process, what he really means, he's releasing them into the country. And that, that kind of falsehood and disingenuous, the American people deserve a lot better than that. And I'm, I'm very, very sad in this Memorial Day, and I apologize, General uh, we got off the subject, but I guess we said words that had to be said uh, in our country, and uh, and I think we all agree. And uh, God bless America. We need, you know, when we had breakfast on Saturday morning, I asked Father Alex to to say a prayer before the breakfast. We had about fifty people at breakfast, and because we do need a prayer right now, because we do need God's help, because I'm concerned for our country, General. I totally agree with that, uh, John, and certainly your outreach there is that, that that's that, that's wonderful. Yes, it's a special Memorial Day is a special day. It's a, a sacred day as far as I'm concerned. We we have another day set aside for our veterans. We have another day set aside for our members in the armed forces. But this day set aside for people who gave up their life so that we could have a good life, and that what they that sacrifice deserves to be honored. I agree 100%, and thank you, General, for everything you do. And thank you, most of all, for speaking out on behalf of our our country, uh, our citizens. And God bless you, and God bless America. Great talking to you, John, and your audience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Lydia, I think you have to buy me a new box of of Kleenex tissues. You are Nobody realizes just how emotional. You're just a big bull of mush. You are. I, you're such a. And I've seen you like you. The way you are with your kids, though, is the is the cutest. And I've said this to Margot and to and to you, John. I mean, of all your successes, the two of you, your greatest successes, 100% are your kids. And so, I mean, what? It's it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Well, I hit a marine him, and yeah. you know, we we took the Solomon Islands, and now by the stroke of a pen, we. We're, we're uh, allowing the Chinese to just to take it back. It's, we it's also just very help, sad. Uh, we're, we're also like funding this war in a sense because we're still buying gas from Russia and we can no. drill right here. We're funding China's. I mean, this has been going on for years. This is a buildup well, that anybody could have predicted years ago. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we have a lot of more guests. I mean, we're, 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 we got three hours down, one hour to go. One hour to go. And, and we, start we, have, we, have, we have 
Uh, we have uh, Governor McGreevy. Who else do we have? We have Governor McGreevy. We also have Bruce Mosler and Frank Siller will also be joining us of Tunnel to Tower. Those are so wonderful, lot- wonderful yes. guests. All right, so let's a lot take more. a break right and here. we'll come back. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid show. I'm Lydia Serrani sitting alongside the great John Katzmatidi. So it's basically cats in the morning. What is that? That's a uh, Ray Charles there, right? America, the beautiful. Yeah, it's, uh, I tell you, I love those songs. I mean, they, you got to buy two boxes of Kleenex. Beautiful music yeah. on this Memorial day. We, we honor and remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so you and I could be free. On the line with us right now is Bruce Mosler. John, do you want to make the introduction to Bruce Mosler? Well, Bruce Mosler is uh, chairman of uh, Cushman and Wakefield, and he's been in real estate his entire life. He has the highest security clearances I know of, and uh, and uh, he was uh, chairman of Ben's uh, uh, business uh, executives for uh uh, national security, and uh, now I think he's co-chairman of the Intrepid, and he does so many things for our vets. And Cushman and Wakefield hires a, a lot of uh, veterans uh, that uh, come out of the armed forces. Bruce, you you speak for yourself, Bruce uh, Mosler. Thank you, John. Um, look, first of all, thank you for having me on your incredible radio program. Uh, Today's a day, Memorial Day, that we remember the half of the 1% that make the supreme sacrifice to preserve our freedoms. It is a day where we should take a moment, pause, reflect on the fact that so many have displayed what uh, Chester Nimitz, Admiral Chester Nimitz said, which was before the hardest fought battle on Iwo Jima, uncommon valor was a common virtue. That's what these men and women possess, an incredible willingness to sacrifice on behalf of the rest of all of us. And to be redundant, John, today is the one day a year where we remember them, though we should do it every day of the year. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, tell us, uh, Cushman and Wakefields, uh, you, uh, let's go to Cushman and Wakefields first. Sure. Hires a lot of veterans. Tell us about the program. So, John, our military and veterans program now has become a robust hiring program for our veterans, and not because we believe that we are doing them any favors. It's not a charitable endeavor. It's an endeavor to make Cushman Wakefield a better company and a better business. Today, on uh, average, we're hiring uh, close to 600 veterans a year. Uh, Right now, to date, we're 256 veterans, which is a 44% increase over last year, year to date. So we're on track to see that 600 number. We're recognized by Vets Index uh, uh, with an employer award in 2022, a three-star employer. We're a U.S. veteran's best of the best and a military-friendly employer gold standard. We are very, very, very proud of these achievements. 
because they reflect the effort we put in to making our organization a better company. And believe me, John, veterans, when it comes to -to peer-to-peer reviews, outperform uh, their colleagues. They have some of the highest education that you can hire, and it's from the most diverse source in the world, the military. And and the the other proposal that uh, somebody told me over the weekend at uh, uh, our breakfast, uh, uh, that uh, they said, why don't we hire more veterans to be, uh, since they know how to use uh, our weapons, uh, to be armed guards and uh, and security for schools, et cetera, et cetera. John, there's there's so many places that our veterans have skill sets. Um, and, and when they transition from the military, there's a program called the DOD SkillBridge Program. Department of Defense has a program which allows veterans to immerse themselves in a company's program so that they, they first of all, can see all of the available alternatives within that organization. But secondly, it makes them a better employer when, employee when they come on board. And most of all, it allows them great insight into the company to see if it's a match. But you're right, John. There's so many areas. If you can run a nuclear-powered sub, if you are, are familiar with what it takes um, to run an electrical plant, trust me, John, you can run any building in Manhattan, any building in the world. You have skill sets that we want and that America needs. You're, you're absolutely correct. And uh, Tell us now you, you, uh, more about – we had uh, your co-chairman, uh, Ken Fisher, on uh, uh, early this morning. Uh, tell us, what, what what are you doing this day, Memorial Day, and what is the Intrepid doing again? So, John, as every year, we'll be hosting a Memorial Day service uh, at 10 o'clock. Uh, Admiral Caudill and Vice Admiral Richardson will be here with us on the deck of the Intrepid with uh, a great number of our veterans, uh, our civilian population, uh, tourists, visitors, etc. Everybody will have a moment and have an opportunity to share with uh, in a service um, at the Intrepid on hallowed ground, ground where in World War II Intrepid sailors lost their lives, grounds where um, uh, hallowed decks where members uh, served during the Vietnam era, the Korean era, and also recovered Apollo capsules. Uh, The Intrepid has served in many, many ways for many, many years, and we are very proud to host this ceremony. What what else would you like to tell all the American people, all New Yorkers? I mean, you've been a New Yorker uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, my whole life. My whole how's life. the how's the real besides Memorial Day? How's the real estate industry going? Is New York ever going to open up? John, I, I look. The real estate industry um, right now is is in pretty good shape, despite what people are saying. Occupancy is beginning to rise. Um, in properties. People are going back to work. The mayor has made it very clear. John, you and I were present where the mayor said, let's go back to work at the Police Athletic League dinner honoring David Arena. It is time for Americans to go back to work, take the necessary precautions. But real estate is going to be fine. We remain, John, the financial capital of the world, the tech capital of the world, the service company capital of the world. And as long as we keep our cities, streets safe, which this mayor is committed to doing, New York will continue to thrive. Let me say one other thing about what this day means. And as a New Yorker, we should remember this is the 20th anniversary now to the end of the longest war we fought in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
We're also just celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a day of infamy um, that New York and the rest of our nation must never forget. So this is an important moment in time. This is an important time to gather, reflect, and most of all, understand that freedom is not for free, that there's a heavy price paid for those that have the courage to stand up when our nation asks, who shall go for us? It's that half of the 1% who forever raise their hand and say, send me, I will go. Well, um, the American people have been volunteers all their lives, and uh, uh, so many of our um, people have died to make sure that we're here today. Are you sad about what's going on? I think, John, that what we're seeing now is um, a paradigm shift. Uh, I'm not sad because I have great confidence. Look, the unintended consequences of perhaps the actions taken um, is that NATO has come together um, in a way in which they haven't before. I'm sad that that we have to be um, in the middle of another conflict, but I am confident that with the coming together of NATO, that with the greatness of the United States, with the freedoms that we have here, that this is the beacon for all other people who want desperately and cannot have freedom. Who else, what other country allows us to openly debate or dispute the issues? What other country at the end of the day is constantly seeking to better itself? Though some think we are a house divided, I would submit to you, John, that I think that we are more alike than ever. And in many ways, John, we should – anyone who seeks to test the United States' resolve will be making a mistake. This nation comes together in that hour of need. I, I'm proud to be an American. I think we're blessed to live in this country, and at the end of the day, um, we'll get it right. Well, Bruce Mosler, thank you. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. Thank you so much for for how hard you work for our veterans and – and uh, you really care and you really uh, love our country. And God bless you and God bless America. And we'll catch up again real soon. Well, John, thank you for everything that you do for our veterans, our nation, uh, and for people in need all over. You are Your generosity is well known. But most of all, thank you, John, for leading the way. Well, thank you, Bruce Mosler, uh, chairman of Cushman and Wakefield. And we'll catch up again soon. Uh, let's let's take that break, and when we come back, uh, we have um, former Governor uh, McGreevy from New Jersey to find out what the heck is going on in New Jersey. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long, and Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid show. 
I am Lydia Serrani sitting alongside John Katzmatidi. So I like to say this is Cats in the Morning, but you can also hear us today at 5 o'clock at Cats at Night. Also, John has a great show on Sunday, Cats Roundtable. The guy never takes a day off, even on this Memorial Day, where we honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice because freedom is not free. I just, I, I remember this Bible verse. Uh, you know why John we're in the top five in radio stations down in the whole region? Because we're live. Don't, we don't take a day off. That's right. And, you know, John, John 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what these soldiers did. And they ran towards danger. They didn't run away from it. That's what our police officers do. That's what our firefighters do, EMS. Except for that it. town in Texas. Oh, I, I, I pray to God that we find out what really went down because to hear some of the stories out of Uvalde that they were in the hallway for what, almost an hour and a half. It's just, it's heartbreaking. I can't imagine the terror that those children and the teachers were feeling on the line with us right now, though. They should is, have just broken down the door and shot the guy dead. They did not follow protocol. Yep. They did not follow protocol. You run towards the shots. We even played the soundbite from the Uvalde police chief that said, well, they were fired. You know, he was firing rounds. We were afraid, you know, uh, we, we, we were afraid for our soldiers. Meanwhile, they had a drill an active shooter drill just two months prior. So these police officers, they had the equipment. They knew exactly what to do. You don't hide in the hallway while children bleed out. You don't allow a suspect to, you know, just lock the door and that prevents you from, from busting in. And he killed 19 children, two teachers. And, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But on the line with us right now, we have former New Jersey governor, Governor Jim McGreevy. Governor McGreevy, we had the pleasure of having you in studio. You're also a man of faith. You're doing some great work right now. Tell us all about it. Lydia, thanks so much, and, and thank you to you and to John. And you just can't forget John's good Greek hardworking roots. That, that's also what builds America. But I just, you know, what we do is we, we work with veterans, and on this Memorial Day, I just want to Say thank you to all those, as you said, and as John has said, who've given service uh, to this nation and lay down their life in the cause of freedom. And obviously the heartbreak that that brought to their families. I, I, you know, Lydia, I'll just say my father just my, he was a Marine. He was a Marine D.I. And uh, <laughs> I suffer the, the scars. But on, on a serious note, I remember him telling me when his brother died. And his dad, who was a Jersey City policeman and an immigrant, got a, a letter from the United States Secretary of Navy describing the circumstances of his death on the beaches of Iwo Jima as they were cleaning off the mines so that the amphibious forces could land and the tanks could land. That his father, my grandfather, said how proud he was that his eldest son gave his life in the cause of this nation. And so it's, it's, it's that, that sense of duty, that sense of responsibility, that sense of loyalty to this nation on Memorial Day. Um, so I just want to thank you. I want to thank John and for, for giving time to, to their voices and to their souls. And I, and I also just want to say that for us, we're grappling with an issue dealing with other than honorable veterans. And if I can, just for a second, that when the branches of service or the Department of Defense, when somebody's discharged, is 
honorable discharge, it's general, or something called other than honorable, then bad conduct, and dishonorable. But that that range in the center, other than honorable, um, and and we fully recognize with New Jersey reentry that you know that the military service, particularly you know, the core can be tough. But the problem is is that the Veterans Administration services are tied to discharge status. So that means, like, if some young man, we had a, we had a fellow, he did two tours in Iraq, excuse me, two tours in Afghanistan. He comes home, he's about to be discharged from the Corps. He goes out, smokes a joint with his friends. He has THC in his urine and gets, receives the other than honorable discharge. And, and this is a guy, and, and, you know, I respect, you know, the Marine Corps and the branch of service, but this means that the VA benefits is tied to the discharge. So he won't get, you know, the addiction treatment. He won't get the psychiatric care. He won't get the medical. And so what we do at New Jersey Reentry, if there's any veteran, literally any veteran comes home and needs services, we'll make sure because especially combat veterans, I mean, guys that are coming back from uh, Afghanistan and, and you hear really tough stories. I mean, war is war. Where, where guys, one young man was on the phone with his buddies. They were in the Jeep. A Jeep was turned upside down in a river. The river's rising. And he literally wrote their last will and testament uh, to their mothers one by one by one. And, and, and he had problems dealing with this. And, and I'm not excusing, but, but people self-medicate. And many combat veterans, whether it's brain injury or, or, or combat trauma or military sexual trauma, is that it's so it's so difficult. And so our commitment is to make sure that veterans receive the services and God willing, you know, this isn't a, a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. Guys and gals coming home, particularly from combat, should receive the services they need. We should try, God willing, to leave them you know, as healthy as they were when they went into service. And so that's our commitment. We work with um, Hackensack Meridian Hospital. We work with University of Pennsylvania Hospital at Princeton and uh, Discovery Institute to make sure that guys and gals can come back. Do you have the problems in New Jersey that we have in New York where there's so many homeless uh, in the streets uh, and a lot of them are veterans? Oh, John, you, you... Thank you. You just nailed it. I mean, people in this country need to know that there is literally, I mean, the, the, the rate of suicide among veterans, when you talk about 22, when you talk about the, the, the highest rate of suicide is among veterans, the highest rate of homelessness is among veterans. And then you also have particularly guys and gals coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan the highest rate of mental mental health challenges. And, John, what's, what's so debilitating is many of these guys have been on multiple deployments, like again and again. And, and we in this nation have an all-volunteer army, um, which has its strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, the reality is, is that guys are going on and gals are going on multiple deployments. And so if if they're grappling, say for example, whether it's addiction, I had I had one young guy who, who was in Afghanistan. You know, he was out working with the local. He got he got hooked on heroin, and and tragically, you know, he was discharged. And and so what we see is 
for these other than honorable. These are guys and gals that don't get benefits. And so the the crazy situation, John, is is they're without psychiatric. They're without addiction treatment. They're without medical benefits. So what happens to these people? They're just in the streets? Yeah, well, I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Until they reach a point where they commit suicide? Well, they, 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 they're so frustrated. And, um, you know, these are guys and gals who, who put on the nation's uniform, went to fight, were in the middle of, of combat, and, you know, did something wrong. But for my sake, it's, it's, it's about that the Veterans Administration benefits should be given to people based on their clinical needs not based on the discharge status. And, and you know, and I, I get the fact that how it was set up and, and, you know, I get the perspective, you know, perhaps, you know, going back in World War II, et cetera. But right now we need to understand that our veterans, particularly those that have been in combat and other than honorable OTH, this is administrative decision, John. So like I, I've talked to guys and, and, you know, Basically, a superior officer made a decision. This isn't a decision made by a court, like, say, for example, dishonorable or bad. This is an administrative decision. So So somebody had a hard-on for somebody, then the person ends up losing and maybe losing their lives someday. And, and John, like, I've, I've talked to people, guys coming out and gals coming out, that they had a superior superior overturn the decision. So it's it's but the ramifications, particularly when a young guy and these are, these are lit these are I hate to say this but these are kids these are like eighteen nineteen year old young guys like you know getting shot at getting blown up facing mortar fire and so you know it, it happens quickly between the time you walk into basic and to the time you're in the theater of war. And so we're just saying in New Jersey Reentry Corporation, we're making a commitment for every other than honorable discharge. We're going to provide them with the inpatient psychiatric care for 30 days at UPenn Princeton, inpatient addiction treatment at Discovery for 30 days to help them put back their life. I mean, John, this is, I believe, this is the greatest nation in the world, but we have to treat those who went in harm's way. On this Memorial Day, we have to provide them with the services needed, God willing, to put their lives back together. So, and and I just want to thank you because of your support, and I, I want to thank your family, and I want to thank Lydia because Katz has always been standing. We just can't, like, salute and wave the flag when people go into war. We have to make sure that, God willing, we help them put their lives back together when they come home from war. Well, Governor McGreevy, thank you so much. Uh, uh, your family has always dedicated themselves, your, your dad. And uh, God bless you and God bless uh, America. And, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye out on things and please report back to WABC like uh, uh, we'll be doing with you in the future. Thanks, John. And if any veteran needs any assistance, I just ask you to reach out to 732 732- Nine four eight five eight eight zero seven three two nine four eight five eight eight zero, and I just want to say thank you to you and to John, to your family, and to Lydia, um, who keeps us all out of trouble. Thank you very much. God bless and happy Memorial Day. Well, happy Memorial Day. Well, it's not happy. It's uh, let's remember all our 
are people that sacrifice the Memorial Day, and I'm doing that all day, and I'm buying an extra box of Kleenex. Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Lydia, Thank you we're so much, take Governor, a break? for all that you do. Yes, uh, we got to take a break. And, and we then still when got... we come back, what do we have? Who do we have? Let's see. We have who Mr. Siller. Frank Siller. Frank Siller from Tunnels to Tower. And he so does more a about lot heroes. The, he does a lot for the 9-11 heroes. But let's talk to him about Memorial Day and see how uh, uh, he's doing on Memorial Day. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Sid Show. Sitting in for Bernie and Sid is John Katzmatidis and myself, Lydia Serrani. We got a still more to come on the line with us right now as someone who knows all too well what a hero means, sacrificing your life for the safety of others. We have on the line with us Frank Siller. He founded the Tunnel to Towers Foundation to honor his little brother, Stephen, who died trying to save others on 9-11, even after he had already gone home from his shift in Brooklyn. And Frank Siller, I understand on this Memorial Day, you have an amazing announcement. Well, thanks for having me on, Lydia and John. Um, thank you for all you guys do all the time. And, and the way that you keep uh, days like today uh, important in America. So, yeah, so the, look, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, as you said, was founded in honor of my youngest brother, Stephen, who was a New York City firefighter, gave his life up on 9-11 who ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel with 60 pounds of gear on his back to get there that day. Um, but uh, since then, we've been doing a lot. You know, we've been building specially adapted smart homes for our country's most catastrophically injured service members. And we pay off the mortgages or deliver mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families or fallen first responder families who die in the line of duty that leave uh, young families behind, that have young families. Uh, but now we've taken on the largest endeavor that we ever have taken on, and we're going to eradicate homelessness amongst our veterans. And we're proud that we're going to take on that big responsibility. There's over 40,000 uh, 40, of them, and um, we're going to do this all over the United States. And we have a comprehensive plan uh, to do it. You know, of course, this weekend we're paying off 21 Gold Star Mortgage Homes. Uh, so to give these uh, uh, Gold Star families the, the comfort and the stability to stay in their uh, in their own home. So we got a lot going on, as you can hear. Frank uh, Frank Seller, you know we we were talking to uh, uh, I, I I lose track all the New York uh, people, the politicians about the veterans and in, in the streets of New York. We were just talking to former Governor McGreevy in New Jersey about the veterans and in the streets of New Jersey uh, and. Uh, you've won the war for the uh, uh, for for what happened in nine eleven and taking care of the families, uh, etc. Uh, can we win the war for the veterans because they won the war for us? I, I John, I couldn't agree with you more. Here's the here's a statistic that a lot of people don't even know um, that since the we lost two thousand nine hundred and seventy seven great souls. Um, on 9-11, uh, many of them first responders, we went to war and we lost 7,000, over 7,000 uh, men and women to serve our country. And these are Gold Star families that are left, uh, left behind. So we're going to take care of those Gold Star families that have young families. 
But how about the guys that are coming back, guys and girls who serve our country? They've seen their brothers blown up or the, you know, the, whoever they're serving with uh, or die right there next to them. They come back and they try to assimilate back into society. And sometimes they can't. Sometimes they just can't because they're suffering with PTSD. Um, sometimes it's circumstances. They don't have a home to go back to. They don't have the support mechanisms that some families have. And they're on the streets. And these people will respond. We get a roof over their head, and we're going to get a roof over their head. They will respond uh, to the therapies and the, all the counseling and everything else that we're going to get them because we're going to get them all the services they deserve to get them back into society. And um, there's a great success rate when you take a homeless veteran off the street and get them the right kind of help. Uh, they do recover and become part the of suicide, uh, the society. suicide rate is horrible in our country. I think it's 22 veterans a day because when they're on the streets of New York or New Jersey or wherever on the streets and nobody's helping them and nobody is given a damn uh, or by them being in the streets until until they, they reach a point where they just commit suicide. They're ha- they feel hopeless and, and uh, they have nowhere to go. And we're going to turn that around, John. And you're right. This is going to reduce the amount of suicide amongst our veterans as well, because you you could be uh, more correct when you say how many of them en- that are in the street end up taking their lives. So, um, well, it's, Frank Zilla, uh, it's going whatever, to help whatever you ways. do, we stand. WABC stands by your side, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, to to help these veterans because they deserve better. They certainly do. And I know you're always there. And you've proven it to me time after time. People Frank Siller, I also do, I also wanted to talk about other heroes that we have, uh, first responders. Your brother was one of them. Does it ever just do does it ever get easier? I know it's been, you know, he died on nine eleven. People don't understand when you've lost a loved one. I lost a brother as well. He was my baby brother that the pain kind of lessens over time, but the memory remains as as strong as ever. And you almost want to use that person as an inspiration for everything that you do. And no one has exemplified that more than you, Frank Siller, using your brother's legacy and honoring him every single day by helping those that put their lives on the line just like he did. Well, you know, you're 100% right. You take their spirit, their courage, their strength, and what they did. And uh, we use it in our lives to be better people. He inspired his oldest siblings, my brother Stephen, as I'm sure your, your sibling inspired, inspires you to live a good, clean, healthy life and to help others. Um, and we're proud of the work uh, that, that we're doing. But look, you, you, that horrific day keeps, keeps on taking lives too because think of all the first responders that were down there on the pile looking for my brother and everybody else and yours as well uh, and and they are now still dying of 9-11 related illnesses it's, it's so sad because people are watching their loved ones deteriorate right in front of them and then how about the burns pits in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq it's the same thing all, a lot of these uh, our military coming back and dying of these rare cancers because they were taking all this toxic air in over overseas. So our work is, is cut out for us. We have to take care of all these families. And I know your, your, your listeners are great supporters. Go to T2T.org, donate $11 a month because we need you. We need, these families need you. 
We're just the conduit. We bring people together, and we're the conduit, and we'll deliver that money that you're don- donating, and we're going to give them a mortgage-free home, or we're going to get them off the streets and put a roof over their head and get them back in society if they're, if they're homeless veterans or if they're catastrophically injured service members are given two, three, four limbs or paralegic, paraplegics, and we're going to get them in a, a smart home. They're giving back some of their independence. We do that with the eleven dollars a month, and I don't think that's asking too many, too much of Americans. Here we give are. A, on give Memorial us the website Day. again. T two T dot org. It stands for Tunnel to Towers. T the number two T dot org. Eleven dollars a day, and we could take care of all these great heroes. And we should do it on uh, on Memorial Day. Here's a day to, to go out and actually get online and do it and do something positive. Well, and I know Frank Siller, you you take a zero salary. That is correct. They take zero salary. That's why I bother everybody like John. If you guys say, John, can you help out with this? John, can you help out with this? <laughs> you're, the, you're, you're, you're the best. But uh, no, we don't take a salary because my family and I, because we, uh, all, all the siblings, uh, because this is about our brother. Our foundation is the highest rating that you can get. We're we're 100 percent in transparency. Ninety five point one percent of every dollar goes to our to our programs. Uh, it, it has my brother's image and name on the foundation. We're always going to hold it to the highest standards. So when somebody makes $11 donation, they know the money is going to go to where it's supposed to go. Well, absolutely. You can make a million dollar donation, too, if somebody's listening. That's all right, though. Well, you can make <laughs> multiples of, a, 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 of that donation, too. Yeah, every month, a monthly $11 yeah, a month. You can do $11 a month, or you can do $50 a month, 22. or you can do $100 a month. I mean, whatever people want to do. Exactly. But you whatever know they that the money is going to go to the right place to to help all the victims and all our veterans. And uh, God bless you, Frank Siller, and uh, God bless America. Thank oh, you Oh, so Frank much. Siller, one last thing I wanted to mention to you. I remember when you paid off the mortgage for Officer Lou. I know you did it for Officer oh. Ramos as well. Those are the two Brooklyn cops that were that were murdered by that cold-blooded killer. And I just remember just how grateful and thankful Officer Lou's family was. And then they, she ended up having a daughter. Uh, uh, it's just so Beautiful. incredible that you bring so much solace and comfort in such a horrible time. And it's so key to have yeah. that to get, you know. Lydia, that's exactly how we started to help out a fallen first responder families that had young uh, kids left behind was because of Detectives Lou and Ramos and when they were assassinated December 20th, 2014. I can't believe it's going up on, it'll be eight years uh, this uh, December. But um, yeah, and then the biggest miracle of them all that she ends up having his baby a year and a half, uh, almost right. two years later, because they froze his uh, sperm. And it is a miracle that I- And the, the kid looks just I've like seen. him. Oh, Did you see the daughter? She so looks beautiful. just like her father. It's like unbelievable. Angelina and his parents, they're so Angel. happy. Oh, oh my God. She, we call her Angel. Uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's what, it's what a story. And meanwhile, I will tell you about Detectives Lou Ramos started their own foundations to uh, pay it forward also. And they always go around all over the United States. They came with me when the cops were killed in Dallas. They came with me when it was a police officer killed in Weymouth. Uh, Massachusetts and different places. They come with me when we go to comfort a, a, another family, and they're they're always giving back. And that, that's how this foundation works. We help a family; they want to help the next family, and that's why we keep on growing. Well, thank you, Frank Seller, and uh, we'll always be there by your side. And uh, God bless you, and God bless America again. Thank you so much. Thank you, John.
Uh, let's take that break. Are we taking that break now? And then we'll be right back, right? Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, YouTube. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid show. Sitting in for Bernie and Sid is John Katzmatidis and myself, Lydia Serrani. I can't, we made it. We made it, John. We made it. You've been up since, what, 2.30 in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early, and then we'll be back on tonight at 5 o'clock for Cats at Night. And uh, we have to figure out what we're going to have at 5 o'clock. We always figure it out. You're like the orchestra. You know, you, what are you, the, the Well, composer? first, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I got up at 2.30 to get here this, today. First, I'm going to go home and go to sleep for a couple of hours. Yes. Then when I wake up, I'll text you and we'll figure out what we're going to do tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think General Petraeus wants to come on and talk about a Memorial Day. We'll have General Petraeus. He's always great. He, we, have such a, we have such a great time. Every, every time we go in when we're doing the show, when we do show prep, you're, you know, we're like, oh, do we have enough? Is it going to go well? And this and that. And even Anthony Weiner, the congressman, former congressman, when he came to sit with us, he's like, wow, it's like organized chaos. I said, yeah, it sounds a little, I said, but we've got everything under control and everything is always perfectly, you know, plays out how it should. Um, you're absolutely right. And you know something? We get more news out yes. and we get the truth out. T-R-U, what's our motto? Truth, justice, justice and, and the, the American, American way. way. And, and, and that's, what, that's what it's all about. I mean, uh, I don't care if it's uh, uh, left, right, Democratic, Republican. I don't give it a darn. It's got to be the truth and to let our audience decide uh, how they, they, they feel about it. Sorry, that's my daughter. My well, daughter yeah, is yeah, I enjoyed seeing her when you brought her to the office last yes, uh, Friday. Say, say happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. <laughs> She's asking. We put the. We were supposed to go to um, like my cousin's house, but then you know we're both feeling under the weather, my daughter and I. So we want to be careful and not get anybody sick. So my husband's putting out the pool, like our little, uh, like baby pool in the backyard, and so she's asking me to put on her baby her bathing suit. She's like, "Can you help me put on my my bathing Make suit? Make sure the water but, is warm." I know. We Eat well, we just water. have like the little. I know we have like that little baby pool. My pool but, was at ninety degrees yesterday. Oh my God, that's amazing! And that ocean air. John, you look healthier and better than ever. I'm, I'm finally you're taking care of yourself. Thanks to Margo, of course. Who, well, what do we say when we're selling? Uh, not selling. We're renting apartments in Coney Island. You breathe in that ocean air. I will certify. I will certify <laughs> you're going to live at least ten years longer. It's so important to get outside to get that vitamin D. We talk about that all the time about COVID and all these things. But if you really take good care of yourself, you'll overcome a lot of these ailments that are affecting us. And, and it's like just kind of common with, sense. With Dr. Mihalos, make sure Absolutely. you have your vitamin B, your vitamin C, your vitamin D. And I read an article yesterday that the D, uh, you need magnesium to make sure the D works right. And uh, make sure you you take your zinc, 
Uh, and w- what else, uh, Lydia? You have to have plenty of fluids. You have to sleep, and you got to stay away from alcohol. We had P- Dr. Mikolos on, and it's incredible what what alcohol even does to your heart. Not only to your brain, not only it's just it's Matt. It's Matt Wanning yeah. just texted me. We have Tony Orlando is coming on tonight, and Jeno Petraeus. And Tony Orlando is so much involved with veterans, and he must, I think he has, Tony Orlando has raised a zillion dollars for, for veterans. Do we have that tie a yellow ribbon song, by the way, Justin? I love this song, but now it's going to be stuck in my head all day long. So tie he, a he, yellow ribbon. Yellow ribbon round the old. So this, he created this song in honor of veterans, and that's, there you go. Tie a yellow ribbon in honor of our men and women. We want them to come home safely. And it's not its not an easy task to go where the danger is instead of running away from it. You know? ah, well, Lydia, I'm going to sleep. You're going to take <laughs> care of your daughter. So we yes. all got something to do. And I'll talk to you late this afternoon when we decide who the heck is on. That's it. You'll figure it out. Besides and that warning, I hope he'll get better, General too. Besides Petraeus, besides uh, Tony Orlando, we have to find somebody else, too. Maybe Curtis will be on as well. Curtis, he's, Curtis, you know, he, we got him. We have to get him for 48 hours instead of ABC just 30. ABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. And Curtis is going to be on today from 12.15 to 1 live. And then from 1 to 3, we got Greg Kelly live. You know, we don't let down our audience. Then Rudy Giuliani at 3 to 4, uh, Bo Schnedley 4 to 5. And we're on live from... From, uh, what, five to six? That's it. And then Mark Levin. And, yeah, we just keep and it going. so on we and so on and so on. And I We're understand from business, Curtis. We never stop. I understand from Curtis. Frank Morano will be on tonight. And he's going to be telling us about his adventures in Atlantic City. As always. As, As always. always. He, yeah, Frank Morano is like a 55-year-old man trapped in a 34-year-old man's body. Or he's, He loves cigars. He loves... I thought he was younger than that. I think he's like 34 or something like that. I think he's in his early 30s. I don't even think he's 35 yet. I don't know. I don't know how old he is. He looks young. His dad went to Brooklyn Tech uh, with me. I was, uh, and I think he graduated. His dad graduated a couple years after me. Yeah, Frank, and Frank obviously inherited his intelligence. He's like really smart. I mean, there's nothing that I don't think Frank knows, and he can speak on any subject. And he's very non-political, and that's why it's so great about his show too. Because like during the day, we're talking about politics, this and that, but overnight, he just kinds uh, has conversations. It's informative. It's entertaining, and that's why I mean the the ratings that he has. I mean, it's incredible what he's done. It's incredible. It's it's uh, unbelievable. And you're going to be speaking soon at the Talkers Convention, correct, John? Uh, I understand uh, that's one big deal in this industry. Uh, I'm speaking at the Talkers Convention, what is it, June 8th? Yes, I believe so, because people want to know, how the heck did you do it? How did you take a station that was like, what how, what, what ratings were we when we were we like first number started? 28 when I bought it from Cumulus. And now where are we? Top five. Well, we got 30 seconds left. In less than two years. And let's years. hear God bless America. What are we hearing? This thank is Ty Yellow Ribbon. Ty Yellow Ribbon, okay. Okay, Ty Yellow Ribbon. Lydia, thank you for getting up early. and You got it. Anything. And our audience, God bless America. Thank you.
If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at info at gabolaw.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.